Hello and welcome. It's another edition of the TetraCast. And unlike my normal disclaimer at the start of these, this one is going to be a jam-packed episode. Holy moly, there is a lot to talk about. Um, we've got some stuff from the new PlayStation showing earlier this week. We had that Nintendo Partner Direct. We have a Cyberpunk Nightwire episode to go through. And of course, we have some games that we've been playing that we uh, want to take a chance to talk about, including a review that we just put up this week. So I'm your host, Brian Vitale, and joining me today are George Foster. Hi, everyone. James Galizio. Hey, folks. And welcome back to the podcast, Josh Torres. Hey, everyone. Um, I'm back. I'm glad that Sony and Microsoft finally stopped staring each other down. It's going to be fun. <laughs> the, uh, the summer long game of chicken is at an end. And we don't have quite the same cast that we did uh, last week, but I think most of us predicted a four ninety nine pricing in in US dollars for the you know the mainline PlayStation Five. It seems like that was right. It was a safe guess, but you know it happened to be that's what it was. But we will get that yeah, well, into yeah. that. Go ahead. Yeah, we'll get it. We'll get into it. Right. Yeah. So that's that's a preview of what's what's to come. We're going to be talking a lot about what they showed this week. Uh, so first, I'm going to hand it off, I think, to Josh. Because you put up a pretty glowing review for a game that you've been playing and working on covering for a good while now. So tell us about 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. Yeah, um, 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim is the long-awaited next new game from VanillaWare. VanillaWare is the developers of you know Dragon's Crown, uh, Muramasa, the Demon Blade that was on the Wii, um, Grim Grimoire on PS2. They're just a very... Uh, I would say they're they're pretty small for but they've been in the industry for quite a long time. Um, they they usually work with Atlas as a publishing you know Atlas publishes the, their games and whatnot. And Thirteen Sentinels has been in development for a long time. I want to say for at least four to five years now. And and the the last VanillaWare game that ever came out like brand new was Dragon's Crown on PS3, and that was quite a while ago. Uh, obviously, uh, between then and now, they've released some of their re-release some of their games, like the Odin Sphere, Leifler Seer re-release on the PS4, um, Dragon's Crown Pro on PS4, which is just kind of like an upscaled uh, re-release uh, and whatnot. So, Thirteen Sentinels: Aegis Rim is a really big, big uh, departure from the what people usually know of Vanillaware as their. You usually do action RPGs, two uh, D side scrollers. Uh, a lot of people like the Morabasa Rebirth re-release on Vita. Uh, a lot of people like Dragon's Crown, um, and it's Thirteen Sentinels is nothing like those games. Yeah, they really don't have like a, a singular franchise that they kind of go back to. Each each of their projects is like independent of each other. And I remember yeah. like it was E three twenty eighteen or seventeen where we like where they had a small showcase for Aegis Rim, or maybe it was just like a demo station. But I remember it's been incubating a while. It's been something that's been floating around for a few years, like you mentioned. Yeah, that's right. I forgot I forgot that they did announce like the, a localization for Sentinel, uh, 13 Sentinels for, like I think it was 2017. Um, and it, even then, there's like, we don't really know what it is. It was just like a short straight trailer. That was like the Japanese, an old Japanese trailer over there, if I remember correctly. And... So the explain the structure of this game is uh, like kind of tricky. So this game is essentially like a, a visual novel adventure game. It's not an action RPG uh, in the traditional sense. Um, and when you start the game, you're you're kind of brought to this like linear uh, tutorial section of the game, kind of 
guiding you along um, these different uh, protagonists and like the the what's considered the like the combat section, the the gameplay of the game. Let's say in between each of these character prologue sections, it starts off as uh, the story kind of an age-old tale of hey, there's mysterious aliens, these kaiju uh, creatures invading Japan, um, and uh, these characters uh, have to get in their big robots and fend off the this alien invasion and that's kind of the the premise at first and so you kind of get introduced to these characters like juro kurabe uh yori fuyasaka um and and so on and so on just about like seven of the characters and you get an insight of like where where they kind of fit into all this at first of like uh, juro at the very very beginning like it all these characters uh, attend the school at the time period is around mid eighties, uh, Japan. And they're kind of just living their lives. It's lo- looks very, very pretty in the traditional vanilla bear sense of like a painting coming to life. It still, uh, carries on that visual flair and whatnot. And then at the end of, you know, Juro's pr- prologue section, uh, you know, one way or another, like a robot appears and whatnot and it's like oh his friend's like oh true i think you did that you know it's like uh, wait what 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 did i do so it, it kind of ends off on there and it, each of these stories kind of like end off at a cliffhanger like uh, of varying degrees it's like it's like oh shit and like okay that's a good place to like kind of stop at that gap point and then it goes into this uh gameplay section where it's kind of um an rts uh kind of presented as like a tactical war table uh, it, lo- it looks very heavy sci-fi, kind of like um, almost uh, like Supreme Commander esque in a way, but 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 wireframes. And so, in, in uh, these RTS battles, a lot of it is defending this terminal uh, from enemy uh, kaiju waves. And so you have uh, you get in the robot, you have this arsenal of things you can do to them. Like you know, you can attack them, move to the uh, move closer to them if they're not in your attack range. Uh, defend against uh, incoming attacks and whatnot. The the RTS side of it is fairly simple, uh, and whatnot. But as the as you're done with the prologue, this this linear progression, um, the game. This is where like the real game begins because the game is split off into three sections. Where you have this remembrance mode, which is the bulk of the story. This destruction mode, where all the RTS battles occur, and this analysis mode, which is you unlock key terms here. You uh, there's like a timeline of the events uh, in which they happen, and whatnot. And it's a very, very, very intricate, complex game. And I'll try to do my best to sidestep around spoilers because a lot of the charm of Thirteen Sentinels when I played through it was not knowing really anything about it and like the the self discovery of how the plot unfolds to you because it's 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 way more than just hey fending off aliens. It's a, it's a really big love letter to sci-fi. Um, un- unlike uh, other VanillaWare games in the past, uh, the co-founder of uh, VanillaWare, George Kamitani, usually works in the character designs. Uh, this time, he takes a backseat in the sense that he didn't really do the character designs. He was the sole director and writer of this entire game. <laughs> so he had his hands full. It's, uh, it's a very big game. That, like, the script was really massive. So now, he, it's he had incredibly other... non-linear, right? Like, you have your yes. set of characters, and it's not like the game daisy change you from one to the next to the next it's they like interlock and you know spider up between each other yeah so unlike the unlike how the prologue presents itself linearly um it's very 
open-ended because right at the get-go after you unlock these seven characters and their prologues you go into remembrance mode and then you get the option of like okay which story do you want to go down one of these seven characters it's like oh you, it's kind of up to you to decide how, like who to proceed with and when to and like you can you can like kind of uh jump between characters because each character isn't like a, a hard commit to their story it's not like you pick their character and you see their entire story all the way through you basically pick a character and then you'll see like a snippet of their character it's kind of like episodes almost you're you're, you're maybe between 20 to 30 minutes and then you're hopping back to the character select screen and then you can consider you can continue their story from then on or you can go switch to another character but it's always snippets of like okay uh, this character uh, knows this keyword because you get keywords along the story, and then uh, they have it in their like thought cloud. And then this, since you have this keyword, this route is now open to them. So uh, these routes can either be like, oh, they're remembering something from the past, or they're uh, they had a dream and then they're uh, thinking about what happened in the dream. Um, and then th- that section will play out, and then it's like, okay, you saw this, you learned things that happened in it. And then you go back to the character select screen, and then uh, the other uh, what was it? I'm bad at math. Six characters uh, Seven, uh, get six, unlocked. Three, Thirteen. Yes. Yeah. I was thinking. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I had to think about it for a second. Uh, yeah, the other six characters will gradually unlock as you go through the initial seven character stories. Some of them unlock other characters, and so by the by the end of it, you'll have. A, big 13 uh character cast like to go down each of their stories and then to actually see the end of the game you have to uh finish every one of these stories like see all the branching paths to them because some characters have um like points in their story where you can do uh different things like juro's story very early on he has like multiple options to him he can choose to like bring this paperwork somewhere uh, from his classroom he can try to ditch his friend to go explore and do other stuff, and like these, like different actions that you do at the beginning, all splinter off into own, their own different events. So a lot, so there's like kind of an adventure game aspect to it, where it's not like you're really finding items to um, see where where they uh, fit in. It's more of a choose your own adventure uh, kind of presentation of like different actions you do with certain characters will unlock different uh, routes in their branching paths. Not all of the characters have branching paths, though. Like, some of them are played very linearly, very uh, straight out uh, with no branching paths. So it's it, they're all varied in the way you progress uh, them. And there's also some unique quirks to each of the characters, like, as you adve- uh, go through their adventure. Like, one of the characters has, like, a, you know, has some medical things going on, so she has to take pills every so often. Uh, because like or, or else she gets like her like her headaches uh like worsen and then like which your vi- your vision starts blurring and it becomes nearly unplayable unless you take her pills or like another character that's awesome uh, yeah it, it, it's really cool that there's like really really specific things that are narratively tied to them that you have to consider and like another character takes on the sense of like there's a, this incident that happened at school and you kind of play the role of a detective interrogating students around the school like okay like do you did you see anything uh on the way there so so the, they all have their own different roles i'm not going to say that all of them are like super super duper important to like the big big like core plot of the game but the each of the characters has like uh a very unique 
it style of like storytelling. Something to differentiate between them other than just who the the avatar is at the at like yeah the point in time. Yeah. And now, uh the the go for it. Ask, I was gonna say like ask. I don't know if this is boiling it down too much, but is it kind of like Octopath Traveler if the story's intersected? Um, no, because that branching paths, I guess. Uh, no, the, 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 it's not like Octopath Traveler because it's it, like you actually get to interact with all the all the characters. Like, not not to say that every character appears in every route, but there are definitely differing relationships with each of the thirteen protagonists um, from the get go. Like, you'll like a character's character development doesn't just start and end with their path. You'll see this character. Um, throughout multiple routes they have different relationships with the characters that they encounter on each of the routes so there's definitely interlocking relationships between each of the protagonists and they all have their different kind of relationships whether good or bad you know like one character may see uh, like a character like very very badly like something happened and it kind of it's like distorted the relationship and then you're wondering like what what happened and then that what this game does really well is it kind of it ties off loose ends, so you understand exactly where that character is coming from. But like when all is said and done, it's like, oh, this is what happened between them. There's the circumstances that led up to this. It's it's a very well told uh, story, even though it's like a puzzle intentionally. Uh, and also, like the story sequences don't really end in the remembrance mode, uh, in destruction mode, in the RTS. They they still interact with each other, but it's a it's kind of it takes place at a certain point in the story, so it, the way they structured the the prologue, where it went to the a character story segment battle tutorial, character story se- segment battle, wouldn't actually work in the main narrative because the uh, those battle sections are are at a very distinct part of the plotline, and it would ruin the pacing if they tried to do what they did in the prologue. So the way they split it up into different modes is smart. It, it gives it more focus, but at the same time, if you want to see the ending of the game all the way through, you have to maintain a balance between how much you progress with the story and the battles, because you'll have to finish pretty much all the battles to see the ending as well. Uh, and so that that caught me off guard when it, when it came to time to wrap it up, and I was like, oh, I have to go chain through battles, and because I was too you know enamored with the the story. But other, like, I really really enjoyed. Like, I I don't I'm not uh, over exaggerating. When I said in my review that like this might be one of my favorite games ever because it's such, it's such a unique way of story uh, storytelling in the same way that, um, in a similar way that Yoko Taro does with his. Uh, I was actually thinking like, is this like a near thing where it's a story that can only be told in the medium of a, of a video game? Yeah, I th- I think I think it is because that's where it's most effective. A lot of the revelations and self satisfaction of like uncovering the story. Wouldn't really work in terms of like comics or a manga or a TV story uh, series or a film or whatnot, because everyone's everyone will go down their own different paths on this game and their own approach, like in a very different fashion. Like for for me, for example, like I I like seeing uh, the stories as much as I could, so I'll do this character. And then I'll try to unlock as many as the uh, their uh, paths or flowchart as much as possible, until I'll, I'll reach this threshold that that locks me out of their story. That says, "Oh, you can't progress in their story until you finish either another character's uh, story up until a, a certain event that happens in their story, or you finish this stage in destruction mode, 
or you unlock this many key terms in analysis mode. Like everyone has their different prerequisites to continue their story. But I'm the type of person that I didn't want to jump too much in between the protagonists. I like seeing as much as I can to them then go to the next character. But another person will be like, okay, this event happened with this character. I want to go to that character next after this to see if I can get to this point in their story where they intersect with this story to see where they're coming from. And and then they'll go to that, that character story. It's like, oh, okay, there was this other character that appeared here, a different character that if I went down their story, maybe they could provide context of what happened in this character's story. So a lot of the like coolest thing about the game is like you take these different approaches and you have different like you're brainstorming different than uh, than other people because you're going down a very different route from them. So your mind is at a different place. You're coming at it from a different angle from the, an, another person that's like than like me. The just way you're describing it, it seems like some person might play it and they'll, they'll learn something later. And to them, it's a, revel- a revelation of some sort. Or another person might learn something first and they're like, oh, that was just established early on. But the yeah. game is But the game is smart enough to like, know when to lock certain events behind certain triggers or certain requirements so that no one player can get completely like out of like out of sync with the story they get too far on one path where they're Mm -hmm. literally lost because they don't have the the necessary information yeah it reminds me of um it was a a visual novel review i did for the site about maybe a year or two ago called uh 42h shibuya scramble where it uh you had different in a similar fashion, you had different protagonists uh, in that visual novel, but you'd all get to a certain point where there's like a hard cutoff point where no character could progress because if you, if they let if they let you freeform it too much, you would be totally lost, and the timeline of events would be like so far from you because oh, you went down the rabbit hole a bit too much that it's kind of hard to visualize yourself out of it because you had to catch up other people's stories up until this point. So it does a really good job. With those thresholds while giving you a certain amount of freedom of like how you want to progress through the game and it's it's kind of a i'm really excited for people to to play it and to discuss it with their friends if you plan on picking it up i i, I heavily suggest not like reading or watching let's plays or watching live streams of it if you have any interest at all of uh, going through it yourself because uh I've said in this review, I've said it uh, on social media, but I, I'm really not exaggerating when I say that like this is really a game that you can only experience once because after you're done and you know everything, like that's the story. You know everything. You, congratulations, you know, you, you did it, but you'll never have that same impact of playing it again for the first time or seeing it again for the first time because now you know too much and that's and that's a sentiment that we've seen in like the Oko Taro games near and yeah so and mm-hmm. you anyone listening has probably been able to glean this but um josh did put a review up on the site for this and did uh score it very well so it's something that he thought highly of so you can read his spoiler free impressions there or as spoiler free as he could possibly be in a review mm-hmm. yeah and then uh go check it out yeah yeah it was uh i'm I'm so grateful that I was able to, you know, play this game and you know, share my experience with it all. And I, I really hope people uh, give it a shot if it, uh, if it speaks to them. I'm not, I know that you know, visual novel adventures aren't everyone's cup of tea, but I, I hope people will check it out one way or another. It's, uh, it's definitely worth going through. Uh, other than that, I've, I've 
I'm just going to make a minor mention that I, I finished my Yakuza series replay marathon this year in preparation for Yakuza Like a Dragon. I went through all seven prior mainline games from Yakuza 0 to Yakuza 6. It took me under 120 hours after I added it all up. So it's feasible. I did it. I did 100% all of them. I did like main story them. Did you import uh, Ishin and Kenzan or whatever the two are called? No, no I, I, I wish, but the, the, those games are even difficult, even to Japanese like readers, because they contain a lot of like very like relatively ancient terms. Like even there's even like in-game dictionaries or glossaries in them to kind of explain like what this terminology is. So that's it. That's cool. On top of like, yeah, it's it's for me, it's beyond my. Uh, level of uh, anyways, I, I was just being cheeky, yeah. but yeah, you beat yeah. out seven games with a, with a small gap between them as you played a few other things, but got them all in this year, right? So that's great. Did it? I did it. Yeah. So, but th- that's all for me from now. I'm. It's it's been it's been good. So you'll be going into like a dragon with everything you could possibly need to know. Yes. And then I'll be going in with like zero Kawami and two under my belt. Like, well, hopefully there's nothing important in the other four <laughs> games. <laughs> Try just six. I'm gonna be so confused. That's that's gonna be a funny uh, podcast. We're talking about what was familiar to us and what we were absolutely clueless about because we didn't have the right. um, They're they're marketing this as like a stepping in point, but certain people like uh, Kazuma, who contributes to the site, says that you really should have all the knowledge from the other games going in. So we'll see to what extent that's true. Yeah. So who wants to uh, follow up the uh, 13 Titans discussion with, with what they played this week? Uh, James, have you been playing 14 or something different? Uh, well, I have been playing 14 and something else that uh, I can't talk about because embargo. Uh, the, so I guess the only other game I really played this week was uh, one that's kind of blowing up on social media and it's been blowing up for, I guess, the last like few months. It's really kind of come to a... Um, so Among Us, it's a uh, kind of, it, it, it's kind of co-op, kind of PvP, it's, um... Basically Mafia. Yeah, it's like Mafia, but a video game, and mm-hmm. it's funny, because this game came out in 2018, apparently, on, like, mobile and PC, and it only really recently just blew up. Yeah, I, I'm not sure, like, what was the catalyst or the, the spark this year that really got everyone on the train so from what i've read because there was like an article i think it was on i'm not sure if it was gone future where it was but the developers outright said that they gained a following in like korea and brazil and then korean and brazilian fans of like soda pop and like recommended he play it on stream he liked it and then a bunch of other streamers picked it up and it just kind of blew up from there yeah, I don't know the streamer up, bit, but I didn't know like a specific name. Yeah, so when you play it, it actually makes perfect sense why it's blown up the way it has. The main yeah, reason is that it's it's a lot of fun, and there is strategy to it, and it is a decently deep game, but it's not hard to get into. It's one of those types of games that even people who haven't played video games before can just hop into and generally understand what they're doing and that's definitely why it's blown up so, so i've watched yeah. a few streams of this but can you just like explain the premise for maybe for someone who doesn't know what quite what it is yeah i'll handle this one so uh 
right from the get-go, uh, Among Us is can be played from like as as probably four to four is not really the optimal experience, but I'd say four to ten people, and uh, you can choose either one or two imposters among you. And the goal of the game is to find out who the imposters are among the, your uh, group. So you're you kind of have this uh, task list when you finally get the round started and. Uh, in optimal conditions, no one is saying anything during this period. You're just going about, uh, you know, your tasks. You have these tasks that are kind of put on your map that are very easy to, you know, find out on uh, on your map. You go, you go on over to them. It's very easy tasks like say, hey, uh, match these wire color coded wires, or hey, um, uh, shoot these asteroids. It's very very simple tasks. Or swipe this card. Punch uh, in these numbers. Yeah, and it's basically all contributing to this progress bar at the upper left corner. Everyone has their own set of tasks, and in ideal conditions, when everyone has all their tasks completed fully, uh, you guys win. But of course, the imposters, uh, imposter, imposters are trying to, you know, sabotage you, uh, sabotage this group, and so they're going about this by kind of messing with the systems. Uh, on the ship and say that, oh, they're messing with this uh, oxygen uh, room. Everyone has to go over there and make sure to fix that uh, and or else it would be like game over because, you know, there'd be no more oxygen on the ship. Or let's say they're they're going off and trying to make sure people are isolated and then they, they kill them immediately. Like there's like no like finesse or life bars or it's just there's a kill button, they get killed and then uh, they can sneak away through vents. And then uh, people can call a meeting anytime uh, they see a body and they report it, even, even the killers. And then they call a meeting mm-hmm. and say, okay, I found this dead body. Um, and they're trying to figure out who did it. Uh, and so they, this is uh, like a lot of it is about debate skills, yeah, essentially. That plausible deniability of like, I reported mm-hmm. it. I can't be the killer. Why would I report myself? Oh, wait, that's exactly. what you want me to think or things like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, people will be like, okay, where were you? What were you doing here? Uh, and whatnot. And then you'll start getting suspicious. Like, I don't know. The, the O2 was going down, let's say. And I didn't see you there. Like, you came pretty late. I'm mm, I'm not sure about that. You look uh, pretty sus. Uh-huh. Like, I, I remember the other night I was playing with uh, some old friends. And uh, there's, there's a, for imposters, they can sabotage the lighting. And the lighting makes it so the radius of your sight is very, very small. And then uh, they sabotage the lighting, and then uh, someone called the meeting after the lighting. And it's like, that's weird. You could shouldn't be able to see like the dead body unless like you're on top of it. It's like, no, nah, dude, I was just on top of it. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. I pressed the report button. It was on top of me when I was like walking around. I'm like, we're like, oh, mm-hmm, okay, sure. So like, it, you can give yourself away like really easily like that if you're not taking the systems into account. So you're like, you know what? I, we think you're the killer because there's no way you could just be on top of a dead body coincidentally when your your line of sight is so small and whatnot. And sure enough, like this 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 happened maybe three times in a row that that night. And it was just people kept reporting dead bodies when the sight was so small, and they were the imposter, you know. <laughs> And it's it's a lot of it's a lot of fun. It's like James was saying, it's very simplistic because everything is so well um, conveyed to you visually about what you should be doing. You have these tasks, you have like a checklist and whatnot. Even even for imposters, you know, there's like no um, like button 
that you have to really memorize like how to kill someone. It's not like Devil May Cry or something. It's like there's, there's a kill there's button. There's also like the strategies screen. where like the imposter will will fake doing a task. Yes. But then if you see that they're pretending to do something with a bar is not going up, you know, things mm -hmm. like that. I love the yeah. sound of this. I, I've sort of seen it as like a, a meme at the moment. Like I've seen all the memes. I've seen it getting popular, but I never really looked into it too much. I was just like, yeah, the can't play at the moment, so there's no point in me looking into it that much. And it sounds really fun. Oh, yeah, God. it's a very, very pick-up-and-play. Yeah, it's awesome. Absolutely a game where you get the most out of it if you're playing it with a group that knows each other. And it has to be... I guess that's, like, the one weakness of it, is that, like uh, like Josh said, it's not really an optimal experience if you're playing it with four people. So you kind of, And really, ideally, you want to have at least, like, seven or eight to get that actual sort of dynamic going that really makes the game shine. Like, I managed to play a game a few nights ago, and one of the tactics I went with as the imposter is that I would, like, kill a body on the right side of the station and then cause the lights to go out. And the lights are in the, in the like, bottom left portion of the station. So when the lights go out, everyone rushes to, to try and fix them, which moves people away from where the body is, So no, and nobody will be able to see me moving when the lights are off. So I have that plausible deniability, and it's like, well, shit, we, we have to vote skip because we literally don't have enough information to go on on where people were at what time, when the body was killed, who was there, that sort of thing. Is anyone yeah. else kind of worried about how well James is, like, killing people? <laughs> <laughs> um, so this didn't work out perfectly, but I was watching some friends play this. So whenever you have people, like, streaming their screen, you have to be careful that no one's, like, peeping or whatever. But luckily, Discord has that, like, audio cue on who's watching what. But um, I was, like, not playing the game, but I was spectating. And I had, like, the multi-view going where I could see, like, multiple people. And you could tell in the UI if they were just a, a crewmate or an imposter. And it's a it's a fun game to watch. Like I'm not the sort of person that watches a lot of Twitch streams or, or even like Let's Plays, but this is a fun game to watch and to watch people like deliberate and when they're on the right path, on the right track or not on the right track in terms of like who they're suspicious of. So it's entertain it's an entertaining game, like throughout to play, to watch. Yeah. It's 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 kind of a weird one because if you're the imposter, it like helps you with your lying skills a little bit, right? Like you're because you're thinking about all the all, all the stories that like you can tell people it's like will they believe me do i have like at least some sort of like quote-unquote alibi to really like help you help you push through this uh like I, I felt like really good when i could when i had like these like intuitive detective skills that like i could i have trouble putting into words what i think all i can really say it's like my gut is telling me this right because <laughs> there's this one game where i was uh in the security room and in the security room you have these cameras and these cameras you can see these four different sections on the ship and uh, people will know they're on when because the cameras will be uh have a red light on them it's like oh someone's looking at the cameras and i see this guy and uh he he was about to inch towards like the camera but like he immediately did like a 180 out of there i'm like that looks suspicious like if you're if you were a crewmate, you'd be totally fine going through like this section. Why would you do a 180? And then and then he was like sticking by me, and like I, and then th there's a there's a feature for everyone that they can do once per per entire game, where you, they can call an emergency meeting on the on like the main area of the of the ship. And then I called an emergency meeting. I'm like, I think this guy's suspicious. And everyone's like, why? And I'm like, look, he went 180 uh, like away from that camera. Like it was like, oh man, I should avoid that area or whatever. It's just there's something about it 
that like it's just totally off of me. People, of course, didn't like trust me. I'm like, oh man, you know. It's also and interesting it out- when when you learn certain people are bad liars or things like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it turned out he was one of the one of the imposters. I'm like, ah, oh, oh, hate all of you. And it was also at the very very last round before I, I called it a night one night. I felt really good because, like, I I was able to like discern both of the imposters single handedly. Like at the at the very like last stretch of it uh, before we would lose, like I was able to call out one fairly early on, and the and the last one was like a fifty fifty of like, okay, it has to be this first. It can't be you, and it's probably not you then, based on what you're telling me. So, uh, it's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it's just entertaining, compelling, and it's a lot of simple ideas, just well put together. It's not it doesn't yeah. have too many systems. It doesn't have. Like and it's got like just the only other thing we really haven't touched on. It's got like the the different outfits and hats and cosmetics and just like right. little fun goofy stuff. It's 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 a silly game and it knows it is. So it's mm-hmm. it's interesting to I, see I mean, something that's so like pure and simple take off like that, and it's not overwrought with like unnecessary stuff. I'm glad I'm glad and surprised that like it really took off this year after its release in 2018. That's just out of nowhere. It's just it's just fun. Like you know, it's, there's nothing much to it, but it's great. Yeah, so it kind of shows how having a signal boost from someone with a following can like be really, you know, impactful for these you know independent projects. And I think like it's basically developed by one guy, and people are kind of like, man, you should uh, you should hire some more people now that it's more popular, so that we don't have so many connection issues and things like that. And I, I kind of feel for them because they kind of yeah yeah because it's like exploded. So now it's now it's like moving at a pace that they weren't anticipating on a game they released two years ago. So, um, but, yeah, just to put in perspective, right now on Steam, there's over 222,000 people playing in game. <laughs> My God, and that's not counting the completely free mobile version that I'm sure has millions of people playing. Oh, yeah, that's right. The, the, I, I guess we should say that it does have a, yeah, like you said, a free mobile version. All you have to, I have to put up with is like there's some ads in between games, but other than that, it's completely is that free. on iOS? Yes. I might be playing this now. Okay. Trying to contextualize that two hundred thousand number. That's like, isn't that like Monster Hunter numbers? I'm trying to like, Monster how big Hunter, is that? How big is big? Uh, two hundred twenty-two thousand is like around like CS:GO numbers on Steam. That's insane. So I guess I'll just go next. This is something that I had kind of brought up last week but didn't really get enough time a lot of time to talk about but i finished it just yesterday um i was playing fallout 2 from 1998 or 1999 and it was the last quote-unquote mainline game in the series that i had played and i kind of just was playing it sort of as like a gap filler both in terms of just waiting for some more games to release and it was just it was the last game in the series I wanted to play, so I wanted to basically just round out and know that I had that kind of under my belt, sort of the same way Josh did with Yakuza. Only this was my first time playing through each game. Um, it is interesting to see. So I was playing this game mostly kind of academically because it's obviously a very old game, and it's some parts of it don't age very well. But I had also played Fallout One just previously this year. And it was interesting to see like these things that they added to the second game as like quality of life features that are still like arguably really bad and really outdated. 
but finding myself being like pleasantly surprised at how convenient this old, you know, kind of clunky game was. Like what? But, what sort of quality life improvements like for, that were? For like? for instance, in Fallout One, you you have it's like a it's kind of very typical Western RPG where you play as a a, a voiceless character and you make dialogue choices in a window and you kind of role play the way you want and you have these companions who each have their own like inclination and you know motor, motivations and things like that, and they have a tendency to like like body block you like if you might be in like a small room like looting a treasure chest or a footlocker or whatever and they'll like stand in the doorway and you can't move past them so in fallout one you had to like open a dialogue with window with them and tell them to move like it was very funky <laughs> and then in fallout 2 they saw like apparently back in the late 90s they that, they, that must have been complained about so now there's like this interactable prompt where you click on them and push them out of the way it's still clunky, but slightly less so. And I'm like, man, how convenient that they give me this push button. Isn't obviously... it kind of funny that like that isn't even in the 3D ones? Like, there's so many memes about like all of the Bethesda games where the companions just get stuck in the door, and that yeah. was in. Before... Yeah, this is obviously pre-Bethesda, but um, like I I would think that the best way to do it, it might be a little bit immersion breaking, but I feel like the best way to do it would just be that you don't have collision with your companions, that you just walk through them. Um, I'd, or, I'd just say just, just, have, just have a shove function, just get the hell out of the way, like kind of animation. And then another thing was that before in Fallout 1 with your companions, unless I completely misunderstood something or... Uh, or it wasn't well implemented but like in order to trade items with them it opened up a window as if they were a vendor so it, it sometimes if you wanted to give them something that was less valuable than what they're giving you they would be they would like refuse as if you were like trying to like shortchange them <laughs> like as like okay obviously they're using the, the the shop interface here to do the trading and that doesn't work very well but then in the second game they make it so that when you're trading it's there's no value assigned to what you're giving or what you're taking so it's like, man, this is convenient, I guess, even though it is still kind of clunky. And you can't like specifically tell them which... So in the other Fallout games, remember, right, you can kind of tell them what to equip and you can like go into their inventory and give them armor, give them weapons. And in Fallout 2, you can only tell them to like equip your best gun or your best armor. So if you want to like give them... If you want them to use a specific weapon, you kind of have to take all their other weapons away. So you have to almost work around the system to get it to do what you want. but so when I was talking, so I guess mechanics aside and little like cumbersome oldness aside, one th one thing that I do kind of appreciate about it, and I talked about this when I was playing Fallout 1, is the, the level of nuance to the story. So in Fallout 1, I talked about this interesting encampment where there was this faction of basically armed raiders that kind of protected the peace, quote unquote. And, but the, the way that they... Uh, and George might remember this, the way that they kind of legitimized the fact that they were armed and that they had the power was that the, the city needed them to protect to protect them from the death clause. But they deliberately didn't do anything to eliminate the threat. They wanted the threat to be ever present uh, yeah, so, so that they could stay armed. And, and then their justification was, well, we need to be here to protect you. And there was something like it's not quite the same story, but there's similar levels of storytelling in Fallout 2 in terms of the factions. And whenever I say factions in a Western RPG, I feel like it's kind of like an overdone idea and it's it's easy to do poorly. Like for instance, in the same series, Fallout 76 has two factions, Raiders and Settlers, and they're very like bland. Like one just wants to make a new life, one wants to raid. Like it's very easy. It's like Paragon Renegade. It's 
there's not a lot of nuance to it. But here, like for instance, one of the factions is ex-vault dwellers. So in the Fallout series, um, certain individuals were placed into vaults to survive the nuclear holocaust or whatever. And then those are opened up on like a schedule and then released to the wasteland and then they have to start new lives. So one of the one of the one of the vaults, I believe it's vault eight, they they opened up a few, a few years ago and they created a new city near where they like emerged from their vault called Vault City. And at first you go in and it seems like, man, this place is uh, you know, they've got they've got power, they've got housing, they're not dilapidated, they've got, you know a strong, you know, government system in place. They've got, you know, basically what's effectively a mayor. It seems like a very safe place. But then when you go in and start talking to them, you realize that they they almost, it's not told so much on its face that you should distrust them. They're not like codified as being an evil faction. But you sort of learn that like, man, they really don't think much of people who have lived out here since the Holocaust. And they're more, you know, they think of them as like tribal savages. And, you know, they, they really place a high level of importance on do you have citizenship or not? Do you, do you can you go into the city at night? Um, do you have a pass on you? Like, can you can you shop here or not? And like, if you're not a citizen, like so in the game, you start out obviously not as a citizen of this place. And if you shop at one of their shops there, when you exit the, the shop window, they say, you know, I bet there are certain places outside of the city that you could, you know, you could shop at instead. Like they're kind of like pushing you away. Like, please don't, you know, patronize my <laughs> establishment. And it's very like subtle. I don't know a good way to explain it where so many of these things are so much in your face in modern games. And I, I'm, I'm even thinking of something we'll talk about later when we talk about the gangs and cyberpunk, where it feels like they have a very strict archetype for what this group of people acts like, looks like, behaves like. But in both of these two Fallout games, they have similar idea in place, but it's just done in a much more like even-handed way, where you have to actually have to read, you have to think, you have to wonder like, why are they why are they acting this way towards me? What do they value? And then you sort of realize what they, you know, what what you. Sh I guess you don't realize what you should think of them. It's very much more on your personal preference. Like, it's not it's not basically shoved down your throat to 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 think a certain way about a certain group of people. And that's just one example, but that's the sort of things that I appreciated most about Fallout 2 um, and Fallout 1, to be honest, where in later games and some of the Bethesda iterations, which I loved Fallout 3 and New Vegas, 4 and 76 less so. But I feel like some of that was kind of lost where they're, they're more into they're more. Um, they, they more want to create like an interesting setting, which requires them to kind of dial things to a point where it's almost kind of like a caricature where they have to exaggerate yeah. like like for instance i think of i think this is new vegas like the boomers they're basically like a group of people that really love explosives and they like have a, a stockpile of like grenades and weapons and things like that but that's kind of like their defining point it's just very more like this is who they are like there's not a whole lot more to it than that yeah it's it's um, one of those things that i've uh, it always feels like it rubs me the wrong way uh I, we'll get more to this when we get into cyberpunk later. Like a, a lot of the 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 media that the way they kind of frame archetypes of certain, like let's say, you know, races and whatnot. Like it, it feels like uh, a very bland Hollywood esque interpretation. That's just it's meant to be like on one hand, it's supposed to be like digestible to the masses, but at the same time, it's kind of a, a misunderstanding about what like your 
actual culture is and why why it is the what they stand for uh it's it, it's kind of just a, a weird misunderstanding of like we want to we want to try to drive home a point but at the same time you're kind of reinforcing the things that they're trying to like speak against almost they make these groups it seems like there's a tendency to make groups of people very monolithic and i know that's a phrase that's used a lot when talking specifically about race but i'm talking about like even even like if it's not specifically race like decided they want to give a certain group of people a very specific personality trait or a very specific thing like for instance like i mentioned like the boomers and i think that's yeah. new vegas sometimes i get them crossed um where, where they only they they all believe a certain way and there's like no room for like breath in terms yeah, of like, that, that, there's, there's like no nuance to it essentially yeah yeah um yeah, so I, I, I get i get you and then so follow one and two and another thing that's interesting about them is that they do introduce a lot of ideas and places and events that are brought up in the later games so even though i know people like to dunk on bethesda um or obsidian i guess in terms of new vegas like a lot of these ideas so sometimes i would poke around the wiki uh, of the different follow games just to see like what's referenced where or like who, who what is called back when and the 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 I guess the final act of Fallout 2 takes place on an oil rig owned by a, a group of people called the Enclave. Mm-hmm. And uh, I probably have read about this in other games because it'll actually say like this, this oil rig is referenced in this, you know, specific quest in Fallout 4 or this specific terminal in Fallout New Vegas. Like the games do kind of crisscross in that way. Only I didn't have that groundwork to really catch that when that happened. So I'm actually kind of more motivated now. It's been several years since I've played like Fallout 3, for instance. I'm interested to like try it out again at some point and see like now that I've played the the prior two games and basically know kind of more of the premise, how, to what extent are they referenced in the later games? Because even though it is a different developer, I do feel like that there was some due diligence given to make it feel like a continual series and not like, even though I guess there, obviously there's that big, you know, perspective shift from isometric to first person in from two to three but it has made me more interested to play other games like it's not quite the same sort of game but wasteland three is a game yeah. that came out obviously earlier this year that's um it's more of a tactical game than fallout is which is more of a pure western rpg but i do think at least having not played wasteland three it does seem to have a similar like aesthetic and a similar dna there's also there's also like an indie game that came out or not maybe not indie but like a smaller scale game that came out a couple of years ago called Atom RPG, A T O M, uh, that supposedly was built in the in like the shadow of Fallout or in the in the footsteps of Fallout I guess more more faithfully. That I'm actually really interested to try because I've been playing a lot of like fantasy or high or like steampunky type games recently. So to play something that's more in that sort of I guess post apocalyptic isn't really a novel idea also like you could argue horizon is that even though it's kind of a different take on that um I, i'm kind of itching for more but maybe something that's a little bit more modern because fallout 2 even though i enjoyed certain parts of it you do kind of have to acclimate like okay ryan this game was made in 1999 it's going to feel 20 years old <laughs> and it are did. you just wetting uh, are you just wetting your appetite to all the Baldur's gate 3 early access later this month uh, I did actually play the Elder, the Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 like a year or a year and a half ago in kind of preparation for Baldur's Gate 3. 
So it'll be cool to play. And I haven't played a Larian game since like original Sin 2 was like three years ago now. So I'm interested to play like another one of those modern takes on the on that classic genre. So, yeah, I am excited for that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Fallout 2 and 1, they do a lot of interesting things, though, if you are to play them these days, you do just have to kind of go in with an open mind and realize that it's not going to be so convenient. It might be a little bit frustrating or cumbersome, but uh, they were trailblazers back in the day. For yeah, sure. you do. You do kind of get used to them once you once you put like a couple hours in. It just it kind of feels like it doesn't. It's, it starts to feel less old. At least it does to me. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of interested to see if like Bethesda ever plans to re-release Fallout One and Two on modern platforms. If you get if you get the the Steam version of like Fallout Two, it kind of comes in with a a baked in community mod called S Fall. Which I think it makes it play nice with with more uh, modern like displays, but it's not the most up to date version of S Fall. Um, I don't know why it's called. I think that's the name of like the um, the person who developed this little modification for it. And if you, uh, it's very simple. If you download Fallout Two and then download the newer version of S Fall, just you can literally just Google it, and it's a free download from some host site. And there's like swap it and swap it in. And what that allows you to do is like. It gives you like a, t- a, ho- a a highlight toggle where you can like hold shift and it shows all the containers you can interact with and things like that, which is something that more modern games like Pillars or Divinity tend to have by default. So that's one of the things where it's like, even to that extent, um, I needed sort of that modern convenience of being able to know yeah. exactly what I can interact with. Because sometimes you're like, oh, I didn't realize I could click on that bucket and look into it and find an important item. Like I thought that was just artwork or something like that because you're playing something that was originally at like 400 resolution or something like that. Yeah, that, that was still in the era of like, just click everything and maybe you'll find something. <laughs> oh, and that also like, it's, it's also got some, I wasn't, I was planning on wrapping up, but one last thing is that um, it's got, it does have some sort of adventure game sort of ideas to it, which I think are kind of neat. I think more RPGs should do stuff like this where there's, there's like a blocked off base with like rubble in front of it. And then there's like a mine cart um, kind of out in front. And you're like, how am I supposed to use this? Do I put a, like, do I put a bomb in the mine cart and then push it? And like, you pick up a rod, you click it on the mine cart and then it like attaches to it. And then you p- pick dynamite from your pack and you put it on the rod and it's like hanging on it. And then you like light it and push the mine cart and it, it's it's very much like kind of esoteric where it's like how was i supposed to know to do that but sometimes you just have to look at what the environment is and just kind of what do i have in my inventory what's around me what makes sense so a very adventure gamey feel to that as well mm-hmm. but yeah nice. and i i just finished that up i don't know what i'm going to get into next uh i maybe i'll just get into wasteland yeah, I had that same empty feeling, and now I'm like kind of flirting with the idea of doing like a E series marathon for nine next year. Oh, like I'm, I'm almost done with East One, just the Darm Tower, and that's it. But it's, it's going. So the last person to go is uh, George. I have no idea what you've been playing in the last week or so. So just uh, tell us what you've been up to. Uh, so I have decided to just punish myself, and I've been getting into two two roguelikes uh, this week, one of which I haven't played much of, and I'm going to save that for next week, but spoilers, it's Hades, and it's really, really, really good. Uh, and the other is something I've been excited for for years now, uh, and it's Splunky 2. Um, a bit of context, the original Splunky, well, Splunky HD, I guess to be more accurate, that is probably the only game I would say is perfect. It's the only oh, game that wow. I played 
yeah like just that's that sounds really hyperbolic but in everything it sets out to do it does it just perfectly it just it feels so dense and cross-stitched and fantastic to play and like everything has purpose so like all of the items interact with each other in one way there's so many secrets it's just i i have played hundreds of hours of splunky hd across the vita across the ps4 across the xbox 360 across the ps3 like so many i've had it on you, pretty you've much really every played it on all those yeah j- j- just by Jeez. chance um you know, splunky and vita is the shit it's really good yeah, <laughs> that's what i played it most on um i don't have my vita anymore i don't think but i used to play it so much on that uh and then they announced two and i was like holy crap like what what can they do to make it better like and splunky 2 is the thing is it's it's more splunky like it's more splunky it's new stuff it's new areas i don't know if i'd call it better like i i think maybe the first one has like a special place for me because like i'm playing two and i'm loving it and but at the moment it's still really difficult so for some reason i i've forgotten like what must have been tens of tens of hours that it took for me to get good at the original Splunky, where I if I went back and played that now, I know what to do. Like I I know Must pretty much yeah. And like I, I know what to aim for. I know how to get to the black market. I know how to do this and do that. And then you go into Splunky 2, like it's gonna be easy. Just get the shotgun. I'll be fine. And then uh Splunky 2 says, no, actually we've changed so much. Um but also changed so little. Like it is still at its core the exact same thing but just with some new stuff new I mean, items in some ways like i wouldn't want them to t- change too much of the, of the core formula i think that making a sequel to spelunky is one of those really challenging things of like should we just go all out and change it all up and i don't think that would be the right way to go too i completely agree um i think the difficulty is is that I think a lot of people would agree that that's a, a consensus I've seen around is that the original Splunky is like close enough to perfect. It does what it wanted to do so well that how do you do that better? Um, and I think only time will tell whether this is better. Like I've I think today, so today I've been reading up some of the um, secrets that you can find in the game, like because I know they go really deep in the original and it sort of seems like they do that here as well. Like there's some really hard to find hidden areas and some really challenging stuff to do. I haven't even like beaten the main boss yet. Like that, that's going to sound, that's going to sound really bad on my part considering how much I've played the original, but I, I keep getting close to the end. And then it, it sort of feels like there are a few more cheap ways to die is, is probably my only complaint at the moment. Uh, particularly in the forest area so they're these bear traps now and they are really well hidden they kill you in one hit uh and they just blend into the environment i'm sure like i'll pick them up sooner or later like i'll be able to spot them easily but right now they get me every time and there's these like spike traps that are hidden really well as well um so particularly the jungle area is just like really hard to go through and it just feels like they've packed each uh biome with so many different traps and things that like learning each one is going to take a while in the original i sort of felt like they added a few different things here and there but as soon as you've like sort of got to grips with the first one and you've seen a little bit of the others you can work it out but now it sort of feels like i'm it feels like i'm going back to school again like that that's what it's like spunky too and 
that's so cool because the best part of the first one was learning everything like you there, there was this moment in the second one where i was like i think i timed myself like j just instinctively i timed how long it took for me to do something and i was like ah oh, that's that feeling again that's that whole learning feeling again it's so cool um so that that's kind of all i have to say about it at the moment it's are you just... playing it on um ps4 yes and it's this game like I, i've i've been aware of it but it's not like really something i would normally seek out I, I do know that it was like on the cover of edge last month or the month before but it's it's fully released now like it's not early access or anything like that uh, yeah f full release it's uh i think they announced it two three years ago now so it's been a while in development um i think it comes to steam next week and josh you're planning on playing yeah it, I, I, yeah i think that's in like the 28th or something it's coming out on steam that's that's what i'm waiting for but I've, I've been watching a few streams of it and it's really like the like the first few months of spelunky is usually the prime like explore the exploratory discoverable time to, to play because everyone's still trying to like learn it and trying to learn like what it can do like for spelunky the, the first spelunky um uh it took like man years to actually like finally like fully discover some secrets in it so i imagine this will take you know some a good amount of time to see what it really has under the hood it's been it's been really cool to see like uh some of the new stuff in it like you can ride these turkeys now in it and then there's some fun stuff you can do with them uh that, I, that i'm not going to say like anything i've learned <laughs> from the streams i just i just kind of but it's it's been kind of it's been neat seeing them going back to the drawing board in terms of like uh level design almost like there's this new like lava area and like they have like fluid physics in it that can seems like it really fuck you over oh so bad yeah yeah if you if you can't get out of it like if you don't have any rope or bombs and even then if you have rope or bombs like you can just get yourself into a trap and then it would just slowly flood and there's nothing you can do. <laughs> yeah. um so I, i'm very very excited to uh get my hands on it once it comes to steam uh in a, in a week or so uh i i wouldn't say i wouldn't put like hundreds upon hundreds of hours in the first plunky but i put like i don't know maybe 150 plus hours across all the platforms i got through it um i only i only ever beat yama once in it but it felt like the best day of my life when that happened um but yeah i'm really excited to explore spelunky too i'm just so happy that it's finally out and out there and i i really want to see um the the new online play in action because in the original one when you did co-op play you had to both share the same screen space essentially in spelunky 2 as far as i'm aware you guys can go into different parts of the level on your own without it having you don't have to share screen real estate with someone actually i'm glad you mentioned that because um I, I remember i think i was watching ign's review of it and they were playing it co-op but not online and it's in in like local co-op it's still sharing the screen i was like and i thought that was online i was like oh god did they really not like change that but if, if you've seen it then that's awesome like really cool that they'd let you kind of explore at your own pace and online so that was quite the uh, variety of games that we were able to talk about and i mentioned quickly going through it and here we are an hour later oh well tends to happen <laughs> so i i don't think anything important was announced this week was there yeah no, nothing there's oh wait uh, oh wait uh there's something here at the top big um, sorry <laughs> sorry so at Sony's at to kick off Sony's uh, PlayStation Five showcase, we finally got the long rumored but now confirmed announcement for Final Fantasy Sixteen, 
with the new Awakening trailer. So I guess, what do we think of this? Uh, just open it up to the floor. Two thumbs up. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm very excited. I've Okay, okay. The one, I re I'm really glad. I know a lot of people won't agree with this, but I'm really glad that the whole trailer was in-engine. There wasn't really a CGI trailer, teaser, or whatever. They showed a lot of this game for its initial announcement. Like, it's like a four-minute trailer is all in-engine, and we got, like, a grasp of, like, what it'll play like. It's like a full-action RPG. Um, it's like it's all in real time. It's very much... It, it looks... Like a faster paced FF15, but like kind of more refined. Um, it's it looks like a return to, but everyone has their own different sort of uh, headcanon or visual, like what Final Fantasy is, right? But this is a lot. This looks more in line with like a traditional Final Fantasy uh, in terms of like there's not really like that weird yeah, sweet sci-fi kind of deal that yeah, it's poor, more pure medieval more pure high yeah. fantasy so i've seen a lot of people compare it to nine to, to 12 even though i guess 12 did have airships um to 14 it has a, a kind of a similar art style to it and it's used some terminology like icons that's found in 14 that maybe james can talk uh -huh. about uh yeah. so it's and uh, uh so a couple a couple of other things uh so obviously we encourage you to watch the trailer it's four minutes got a lot of dialogue a lot of cutscenes, and a good chunk of uh of gameplay even though who knows how representative it is but at least it's kind of showing you like what the intent is so the it's narrated by the presumed protagonist who goes unnamed but calls himself joshua's shield and then there's this other character a young boy named joshua who is somehow touched by these icons, these summons. And there's there's a couple different that are shown in the trailer. First, it shows Shiva fighting Titan in a sort of like war type setting. And then later we see Phoenix fighting uh, what I presume to be Ifrit, you know, in a more personal setting that somehow Joshua is involved, whether he's like consumed by it or something. So it's very much, that's kind of the premise is that it seems like these summons have to be like fought against or controlled in some way. And then um, Alex Donaldson actually put in a another, we, we obviously posted about the trailer itself, but then he also posted just some sort of uh, observations that he made where it looks like if you, if you look at some of the gameplay snippets, um, certain like summon abilities are used in combat, seemingly like Titan fists or Phoenix wings. So there's a lot of, and I'm sure there's tons and pages and pages of speculation that have gone on that I have not even like witnessed yet. Yeah, but there's uh, a lot to unpack. Yeah, that's it's it leaves a lot to the imagination, which I really like. Um, the, the I guess uh, what we'll mention it now uh, in terms of staff, this is really looking great because uh, the director of this is Hiroshi Takai. Uh, Hiroshi Takai has been with Square Enix since I think the early '90s, like around '91, and this first project was Final Fantasy V, I believe, and working on like the, the battle graphics for that. Um, Takai is most no, known for uh, being the director of The Last Remnant, which I wish uh, Adam was here because Adam really loves The Last Remnant. I really like The Last Remnant a lot as well. Uh, and uh, if you're watching the FF16 trailer and you're, and you're wondering, it's like, wow, this looks like a lot of like Final Fantasy XIV. And that's no coincidence because this is uh, being uh, developed by Creative B Business Unit 3 at Square Enix and uh, has Naoki Yoshida as the producer. And if you may, you may uh, know him as the director and producer of Final Fantasy XIV as we know it today. So, and a, a lot other staff that you know they haven't come out yet and said confirmations on these. These are the 
the heavily rumored speculation ones, um, a few, I think weeks ago or months ago, uh, Ryoto Suzuki from, uh, Ka- he was from Capcom, moved over to uh, Square Enix. Uh, he was the uh, battle designer of both uh, Dragon's Dogma and Devil May Cry 5. He's rumored to be working on uh, Final Fantasy 16. Um, it looks a lot like Dragon's Dogma and a little bit like Devil May Cry. There was there was enemy stepping in that trailer from Devil May Cry. Oh my god! We got oh. May Cry Five uh, Special Edition, Devil May Cry Six, in the same uh, PlayStation. <laughs> and if people don't know, I guess I might as well. Enemy stepping is basically a technique in Devil May Cry where you uh, jump off of enemies and it'll reset anything, all the abilities you can do in there, like a double jump, a, da- a dash, whatever. It's basically just it like, keeps you up in the air indefinitely, which it had sort of that thing in Final Fantasy six that sixteen trailer, uh, and also uh, some people speculate that on the musical side they think Soken from Final Fantasy fourteen uh, might be uh, the composer for this game or uh, uh, involved in this game somewhat in uh, some capacity because you know they compared like the melodies of the sixteen yeah, trailer. Some to some people are convinced, but it hasn't been like yeah, nothing else as far as I know, but. Suzuki like, and Soken are just rumored right now, but you know there, there's still some evidence. Uh, but to it. it's also one of those things where honestly I wouldn't be surprised either way, because mm-hmm. just in perspective, uh, Soken like Final Fantasy XIV back when Heaven's Word was still the current expansion got the Guinness World Record for the largest number of unique like original compositions, and that was like almost entirely Soken, and he has not stopped. If anything, he has just accelerated. Like, uh, Shadowbringers, before the patches, had, like, over 80 new songs added to it, for which, for, a, for an MMO expansion, is actually literally insane. So, it's, um, I wouldn't be shocked if Soken was on 16, since he very clearly just does not ever get writer's block. It, like, man, like, just gotta, you just gotta be jealous of that pure output. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it sounds like him, so it might be. But it's also like would actually make him even more of a of a madman if he managed to do a sixteen soundtrack or at least part of it while he's still been putting an insane output and insane variety in six and that yeah, fourteen. I have so to say, also- go ahead, George. Uh, I think I would probably have a sort of unique position. Uh, on the site of, I don't really have that much history of Final Fantasy. Well, neither do I. Like literally, fourteen, which I've been playing through this year, is like the only Final Fantasy, well, the only numbered Final Fantasy I've played. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I guess it's not that unique of a position, but it, it's still probably different than James. That uh, Final Fantasy fifteen is my favorite game in the series, and Final Fantasy seven remake is like my second because those are the only two I've really played. Um, so, and seven, see, so seven remake is your least favorite game in the series. Oof! Don't don't make it controversial. <laughs> um, so I'm going from a position of to me, Final Fantasy means uh, usually some sort of Tetsuya Nomura influence, and also it's usually modern day slash sort of semi futuristic rather than the olden times. So I didn't really know how I'd feel about that. I, I'd heard the rumors about sixteen, like everyone had, and I was like. Uh, I don't know if I like. I don't know if I like that. And it is kind of weird that you can kind of feel the Nomura absence 
but I can't like put it into yeah. words what that specifically means. Some people say like the trailer is less bombastic. I mean, well, it's still pretty bombastic, but it just has like a different tone to it. It's it, hard it's, to say exactly it's what. Like you can you can sort of follow what it's doing, so it's definitely not Nomura. Well, I mean, okay, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it, it boils down to how many belts can you count on a character. <laughs> I, speaking of clothing, I did feel, and I know I'm not the only person that made this connection, but a lot of the um, the English dialogue and the uh, clothing and the, even the monster design, if you look at how the Malboro and how that coral were looking, um, very Witchery vibes. Yeah. So very like Western kind of emulated fan. Or I guess the Dragon's Dogma is a similar sort of thing. So <laughs> kind of a, the Japanese studio developed take on those sorts of ideas. And I think it looks it looks really like some people use this kind of as a pejorative almost, but it looks like really gritty. It looks like really like dirty and yeah. it almost no, like it, it, it doesn't feel like overly clean or polished in terms of like everyone having fabulous outfits or whatever that that are kind of incongruent with the world they're in it looks i really like kind of the style and the aesthetic that they're going for it's a little bit more muted so maybe not a little like as bombastic in terms of a visual front um but i do i, I think i do enjoy what we've seen so far There's a, it's also it's, it's also important to note that um this is like the, this is a very like much a game in development. Like these aren't like final visuals or whatever. There's still time for polish because no polish like is usually at the end of development. And Yoshida already said like you know in his uh, opening messages is like you know, the next time you'll we'll hear about FF16 is sometime in 2021. They didn't really put like a like a a firm like release date or release cal uh, window uh, for FF16. Um, so. uh, one thing. I was going to say is um, about the grittiness. That's definitely something that stood out to me. Like, even though I've only played 14, like clearly, like when you look at like the different numbered final fantasies, like even from a distance, you can get an idea for what they go for. Well, when playing through 14, there's a number of instances in the story where you could tell that the developers wanted to go a bit further in depicting violence and depicting like maybe i guess for lack of a better word gore like not not to be gratuitous but rather just to kind of hammer home specific plot and um, plot beats and to have like a better like emotional like response and there's like a few moments where you see like blood in 14 but they're like a bit few and far between but they're definitely frequently enough that you could tell that the development team has always kind of wanted to have the ability to go further, that they've always been kind of limited by that team rating that 14 has. I, when I saw the 16 trailer, there was a specific moment. I don't even think I need to kind of really point, point it out. I'm sure everyone knows exactly what I'm, I'm referring to, where it felt like the, um, the development team saying, yeah, we're going all the way here. And it looks like, at least from the outside looking in, this might be the first M-rated numbered Final Fantasy game. And, then here, cool. and here's another just comment. I don't know how tied together it is. We talked about um, The Last Remnant, the director being ha having worked on that, and that was also M-rated, which was kind of a rarity for Square Enix. So, Yeah, but when, it was still, when Versus 13 was still a thing, it looked like it was going to be M-rated before it got, you know... We reshaped it to 15, yeah. Controversial but. question time. Mm -hmm. uh, so which excites you more? 
the Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two or Final Fantasy Sixteen? Because after this trailer, like I I loved Seven Remake, but Sixteen is looking really really good. Like I'm excited for Sixteen because knowing Yoshi P, this will actually come out in a reasonable time frame. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm excited wrong. for Sixteen because I am one of those people that wasn't really on board with the way that seven remake ended like i i wasn't like against it but i'm like i'm not sure i'm feeling this so, so i guess 16 is the devil you don't know where it's like it can be anything we, we only know four minutes of footage so of course i'm gonna like visualize it in my head as this most idealized version of what i imagine the game could be um so yeah 16 i don't yeah i don't think it's a controversial question i, I i'm on the 16 train as well because this this is a this is a new like brand new thing and you know Final Fantasy VII Remake has so much baggage behind it, especially with the way like it decided to lead off, which, you know, could, could be a, a good thing in the end, but it, it's kind of like, I'm with Brian, that like it's kind of in a weird flux where I don't I don't have as much faith of like that it's sticking the landing as where 16 might potentially go because the, the, sta- the, the potential staff list and the talent behind 16 is like, it feels like the stars aligning almost, and it's like, okay, on paper, this should be a home run. Hopefully. James. Well, you haven't played seven remake, so Yeah, well, I mean I already kind of answered my question. Let's <laughs> uh, uh to kind of you know, put up put a wrap on this, you know, very early thing. At the Okay, this is gonna be weird. On the PlayStation 5 showcase itself, when they debuted FF16 as the first trailer. They said this is on a PC emulating a PS5 environment. And then at the end of the trailer, it says it is a PlayStation 5 console exclusive. Uh, and then said like a little asterisk on the bottom saying this is also available on PC. But then after the presentation, um, Square Enix clarified that as far as we know, we're only like developing this right now. On the PlayStation 5, there's only coming to PlayStation 5. You can't say anything else. The, the footnote on the trailer reads like this. PlayStation 5 console exclusive, asterisk, not available on other platforms for a limited time after release on PS5. So very open-ended, very much, yeah, it's PlayStation 5 exclusive, but we're trying to crack, keep that door cracked open. They're trying really hard. Yeah, to I mean, it's it clear that it, it is coming to PC. And, yeah. like, I mean, Sony's even outright said it'll be available on PC. It's like the same thing. They doubled back on that. That's the thing. Well, they, they, like, uh, Square Enix had to go out there and say, right now, we're, we can only, like, they're only yeah, saying anything. The they're thing. only saying for PlayStation 5. Like, they did they, near Automata, though, where it's like yeah. they really tried to hide the PC version of that. And that was only a few weeks after the PS4 release. Yeah, we're not saying it's not going to come to PC eventually, but right now, like as for firm confirmed info, like it's only coming to PlayStation Five, as we all know at the moment. I, I understand what you're saying, but I feel like it's 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 kind of a little bit BS to say, oh, it's obviously just coming to PS Five. Like they've even outright told us it's coming to other platforms. Like we've heard PC. Like the very first thing we saw of sixteen is this is running on PC. Yeah, the only quote-unquote confirmed platform is PS5, and that's where the only place we know it will be at launch, but 
it, it's coming to PC eventually. We just don't yeah. I, I, I'm not saying that it's not going to come to PC uh, like uh, at all. You know, I'm just saying right now, as for confirmed information that they, they've been fed, they've only said like the the firm like thing they said after all the clearing up all the misconfusion was PS5. That's all we know it's... like right now for confirmed info. I think the best wording is all but announced for PC. We get all the evidence, yeah. but it's not announced. All but announced. Yes. And then so you can speculate on other consoles based on that footnote. Go ahead. I'm not saying like, like, like the, 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 the messaging after this presentation was a fucking mess. And we'll get into that yeah. in a bit. But yeah. So a couple Go other notes it. I wanted to say. Uh, just uh, So some people were speculating that this might be tied to uh, either Ivalice or Vagrant Story, or maybe somehow have Matsuno, Yatsumi Matsuno involved in some way. He had tweeted and then deleted a, a statement saying that he is not involved in any way, and then mentioned Kazutoyo Mahiro, who was a scenario writer on, I believe, A Realm, a Realm Reborn and Heaven's Sword. So that's another like known but not really confirmed talent on 16. Mm -hmm. And then the last statement I want to say is that. Interesting a lot enough, and some people have really like dug into this aspect, is that all of the gameplay shown so far is uh, seemingly like completely single player in terms of no party, like single character, like almost like an action game. So, so uh, lightning returns. <laughs> but the thing is, like Final Fantasy 13, when it was first shown off, was also like it, it like the very first gameplay quote unquote it was i think it was like faked gameplay but the very first showing of 13 only showed lightning like in the corridor fighting those soldiers so it's not confirmation that there is no party but some people are wondering like you know where are the party members like yeah <laughs> so, yeah but, but but remember lightning returns ff13 was only just lightning for that game yeah so it, 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 it's not gonna be like it's not gonna be a first for them to go that direction i would love party members but you know we'll see i guess yeah, I that'd, guess that'd be, that'd be weird. Yeah, it's it's one thing where it's like I would I think I would enjoy party members, but if they think they want to try something different, I'm not going to say like how dare you try something different. Like yeah, like no, we'll see we'll see how it turns out. I'll judge based on the result and not the um the premise. Any other closing thoughts on our first four minutes of footage from Final Fantasy 16? No. What? All right, it's it's, it's real. Um, it's it's probably has no like no actual connection to the 14 storyline, but it's been hilarious seeing people like try and plot these potential connections to the 14 storyline just in case. I'm guessing it'll be like the um, Final Fantasy 10 to Final Fantasy 7 connection, where they have that little Easter egg where Shinra from Final Fantasy X-2 is like, what if we could extract the energy of the planet to do blah, blah, blah? And it's like, do you think 7 and 10 are related? I'm like, well, if you want them to be, I guess it ends up not really mattering. I'm guessing that's about the level that they could go. But I haven't played 14, so I really don't know. Um, I think on principle, I'd rather that 16 just kind of be its own you know, universe allowed to exist independently. But I do know a lot of people would really love if it had like a tangible connection. So we'll see if they go that route. So um, we also had a couple other RPGs that were talked about at the PlayStation 5 showcase. The second one of which was something that George has been looking forward to, um, Hogwarts Legacy. So I'd love to play it right now, but 
Yeah. yeah so before we talk about this, um, so Hogwarts Legacy doesn't have any direct involvement from, you know, series creator J.K. Rowling, but it is a, a property that does financially benefit her. And she has stated and then doubled down and tripled down on some really kind of ugly viewpoints on transgender people. So if we are not making a judgment, if you want to support this and you say you're, you can consider the project independent of the author or not, everyone's going to have their own priorities in terms of what extent they can make that divorce. But it is something I do want to just at least state and say, like, yes, we are aware of it. Um, and if you don't want to support it, we will make sure we have timestamps on this podcast to skip to the next topic. On the game itself, one thing that I thought was interesting was that when I first saw this, I thought it had like some sort of multiplayer component, but it is described as purely a single player open world action RPG taking place at Hogwarts, like set set before the timeline of the books. So George, you are the one that, that has been most excited about this. What do you think about what we saw? It was mostly a cinematic trailer with some like gameplay snippets. Whew. Uh, I I love what I saw. I I hate this is the thing we we talked about this before. I hate to say that I'm excited for this game because J.K. Rowling is awful trash fire and her views are stupid. But this game and it's it's everything I wanted. It's what I've wanted since I was a kid. Who I love Harry Potter. Um, I I love pretty much everything to do with it. I love all the films. I love all the books. I've watched them all. I've read them all. I've played all of the tie-in games, some of which were really good, some of which weren't, but, you know, when you like Sony enough, you'll just play it. You uh, played Quidditch and... for the PS2. Yes, I did, and <laughs> I, I think I played it for maybe 10 minutes, but I still oh, no. played it Harry Potter. Um, Speaking this... of tie-in games, and uh, maybe I'm the only one that got this impression, but when I saw... Um, this game get revealed and saw what the gameplay was starting to look like, it sort of reminded me of the really old Harry Potter games for like the first two movies where they were more like they were almost like RPGs and there was like a lot of exploration and there was like um, I guess they were action RPGs in a sense. Did you uh, kind of get any, uh, that same feeling or was it just me? Well, I, I the thing is, it, in some ways it feels like it's harkening back to uh, particularly Chamber of Secrets and Prisoner of Azkaban, just in the sense of th this bigger focus on the castle. But then I've, I've really got a feeling of um, Order of the Phoenix and Half-Blood Prince, uh, both of which were a, a bit more like they were when Harry is older. Um, so it's the same sort of like environment. Um, and then Half-Blood Prince had this really big focus on uh, dueling, so like actual wizard battles, and that was really cool, and I feel like that's returning here um, th the thing is, as well, a, a lot of my basis on this game is also still related to that leak that we got, what, what two years ago? Yeah, now, at I think? least a year and a half ago Like, uh, and that that pretty much confirmed, that sh that showed us just as much as this trailer did um and I, like my mind is racing because I've wanted to talk about this for so long. I've wanted this to be real for so long that suddenly I'm drawing a blank because it's like this is just everything I want it to be. And if if it does everything that it seems to say it's doing, like moral choices, uh, 
actually like customize your character, maybe even some like social elements. If it does all that, plus some really cool combat, plus uh, some some deeper Harry Potter lore, like I'm good. This could this could be like one of my favorite games ever. And that's such an awful way to feel about something that you at, at the moment. I don't want to get too political talking about it. I don't want to get too too into the background of the game because it's the elephant in the room. We all know what's up, but to express uh, excitement for this game at the moment is like just this slimy feeling. I, I remember when it got announced, um, some people like uh, messaged me about it and they they tagged me in it and they're like, "Oh my god, the game you've been talking about!" I'm like, "Yeah, awesome!" And then I tweeted, I was like, "Oh my god, Harry Potter!" And then I was like, instantly, I, I hit send. And I was like, "Oh crap!" Like. You, you just look like a slime ball at the moment if you're excited, and that's awful. Like I, I feel so bad for the developers of the game. Yeah, that's where that's the, that's the angle I was going to take. So this is developed by Avalanche uh, Software, which isn't the same as I think Avalanche Studio, <laughs> a couple of different studios with similar <laughs> names. So I'm look, I have Avalanche Software's wiki page up right now, and they've done a lot of like um, kind of tie-in games like Disney Infinity, Disney Toy Story, Infinity. Cars. So this is kind of like a step up for them in terms of uh, I guess IP. So everyone's going to have their own individual take on where they find themselves in support of this game or not. But if you were to support this game under the uh, premise that you think that the, the developers here are not tied to the IP owner in terms of JK Rowling, that's something that I feel like you could substantiate yourself just fine. So that, that's, that's how I'm personally, yeah. I, I feel also as uh as rpg site this is almost our obligation to inform people um and in this case inform them about the game so news inform them if the game's good in like the form of a review probably yeah we're um, not going to be the arbiters of telling them what they should and shouldn't support yeah we'll just provide the information but, but of course every time we're probably going to say oh yeah by the way jk rowling sucks and you know like that that is that is known it is known that we think that as well um the, the thing is as well why this is so interesting is that they they like fully say on all of the press releases this is properly an rpg like this is like you're you're upgrading your character you can have like different skills there's like relationships there's moral choices like when this got rumored i was like is it really going to be an rpg though or is it just going to have like leveling and... damage floaters <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's that's literally what i was gonna say like that still kind of makes it an rpg but like to go further into it and and do stuff that like the the pro i don't like to say the proper rpgs but like more traditional rpgs uh to do stuff that they do and to see that it's actually being done here that's really cool like well i think it was smart to set themselves outside of the timeline of the movie so there's not going to be like oh i ran into hermione granger or something it's it's like a it's like 100 years prior or 150 years prior so they can kind of tell their own independent stories and then certain people might wonder like is it canon or not? Do these events actually happen in the past in the books? And to me, I'm the sort of person that would never think that deeply. I would just let the whatever stories and plot beats that this game tries to tell. Um, I wouldn't personally put a lot of energy in making sure that it all jives perfectly with the history that was set in place in the books. If there's a few inconsistencies, I'm okay with that. But I don't know. That was the situation with uh, J.K. Rowling. It would probably be, most people might even prefer if it had nothing to do with her. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, it, it really is a shame that th this game has to be tied directly to the Harry Potter IP and by that, like, 
expense, like tied to J.K. Rowling as an author. And it's especially unfortunate for the developers that this announcement came within a week of a really nasty uh, situation with Rowling. Like every situation for over the last couple of years has been nasty, but especially the most recent one. Like I can't believe it took till now for people to realize that her old pen name was name of someone that literally practiced like gay conversion therapy. So uh, yeah, that's lovely. It's depressing to think that every time we bring this game up, uh, it's going to be followed with not even not even like reactions to how the game is or what we think of the game. Like most of this discussion has been, this game looks awesome, but there's always that but there's always going to be that but and that sucks and, and if, you're, if you're listening to this and you're wondering like why we keep bringing it up it is something like we have had gen- transgender people contribute to the site so this is something like we have a stake in it's not something we can just brush off and say oh it doesn't matter oh i mean even if we didn't have transgender like uh contributors i feel like it's something that right on is principle. yeah, yeah. On principle, we, we do need to mention because trans rights are human rights and all that so but um, yeah, I I really do feel terrible for the devs. But at the same token, I can't like try and shame people into oh you if you don't buy the game because of this you're you're causing the devs misery. It's like, look, man, I'm pretty sure the developers feel awful about this too. It's just it it's a t- it's a shitty situation either way, like. And not to really throw any shade here, but I think it's really, really shitty when certain other outlets say, good news, J.K. Rowling's not involved with this game, where it's like, yeah, but she's still probably getting money off of it. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a disingenuous reporting, right? Because the, like the, she she has full control of the Harry Potter IP and the uh, Hogwarts, like, you know, it's any money you put in this game, a certain percentage of that money will go back to her. Like, you know? the best case scenario is, is that she just got money from the licensing up front and then she doesn't get any additional revenue from the game sales, but that's not likely. She's never operated like that when it comes to previous financial deals. She always gets a cut. And, it's you know, awesome. like, look, I, I'm uh, like we already mentioned earlier, we're not going to judge people whether they decide to like, you know, buy the game or not. Like, you know, it's, it, it, they, they're excited for the game. They want to play it. That's That's totally fine. That's... Hey, George, next time we talk about this game, if you if you like see a preview event or or the game comes out in 2021 and you want to talk about it and you think it really highly of it, I want you to go ahead and say that. You know, I yeah, don't want you to feel I, ashamed I, for that. Yeah. I think the developers deserve that. I, I think I will always preface it by saying giving people some history on it, uh, and saying what needs to be said. But I also, when the time comes, I do kind of want to just look at it as its own thing and i kind of want to look at it as its own thing as well like i i think the the worst bit is if, if this was like a crap game people would go eh, okay like who cares but this looks really 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 good so yeah, yeah it's just, it's just complicated complicated feelings all around yep, complicated is the best word for it but yeah it is currently I, uh, slated for 2021 on current and next gen system so will be cross gen yeah. basically everything but switch yeah yeah so the last RPG-related announcement at this uh, PlayStation Showcase was Demon Souls, the remake made by Bluepoint. And they announced that it will be a launch title for the PlayStation 5. 
And well, okay, let's let's clarify. Jeff Keighley on Twitter had to announce that for, the <laughs> for PlayStation Five. I remember around the time the PlayStation Five showcase ended, somebody put out a tweet saying, "Which had the who who had the better showcase?" And it was like Sony, Jeff Keighley, and Jeff Keighley was winning because it's like we got all these announcements. At yeah, the- I guess I'm missing some context here. I don't know what happened with Jeff Keighley. Okay, so so. Basically, after the conference, like they never really announced at the Sony showcase whether these titles were going to be at launch or they're going to be later. And like through, I guess uh, Keeley had an insider who was basically texting him back and forth, like, "Okay, what's launch and what's coming later?" And just putting up info on his Twitter. So like before Sony announced it on their blog, uh, whether it was like in a response or just already planned out, which is still something like you should probably put in your showcase. Uh, Keely like was the first out there to say, okay, Demon Souls is coming to PS5 on launch. Uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales will be coming to PS5 and PS4 and other details and whatnot. So you see, basically, things that should have been at Sony's showcase and like make this info easily conveyed. You know, not having to message to Jeff Keely. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, but yeah, like uh, you were saying, the Demon Souls remake, yeah, is a launch title on uh, PlayStation Five. Um, we got our first like real look at like the gameplay and what this game will like look like in motion. Uh, we saw some ray trace reflections, or not uh, reflections, shadows in it, um, and it looks re- really, really good. <laughs> um, I, if there was, I, I wonder if this was real or not. Like uh, because they showed in the footage of uh, the, a bonfire teleport, it was instant. It was like less than a second. Uh, to to go to like an area from a bonfire teleport, and I wonder if that's like real footage because that's very exciting. Because Demon Souls on PS3 took upwards of like ten to fifteen, sometimes twenty seconds to load to an area. <laughs> if only because like the file size for the game was revealed and it was like sixty six gigabytes. Holy crap! I am pretty sure that if nothing else, you could just literally fit. The entire level in the ram in the first place or like e- like for each arch zone you could probably fit like all of the levels in each arch zone in ram and then like not even the ssd you'd probably be able to have instant loading that way yeah this was probably the for me probably the strongest visual showcase for a ps5 yeah completely this was what? amazing I'm it's so almost enough to make me want to get a PS5 and launch, but uh, with the way stock is sh- shaking out, even if I really wanted to, it feels like, man, like Sony's going to sell so many systems. People yeah. have already gotten the warning yeah. email from Amazon it's saying, like, just heads like, up, you uh, might not get it on release date. It's is like this year where it's not the limit of how many co- units are going to be sold. It's an interest. It's going to be supply. <laughs> what was to- your comment, did any of you guys actually manage to, or did you want to pre-order PS5 and manage it? Or I did. I do have an Amazon pre-order here. I, yeah, yeah. Um, but I did get that email, so we'll see Oof. what happens on that. I, I, I originally wasn't planning to get a PS5 on launch, and then I started like, okay, so here we go again about the the really bad like messaging of the after the thing. Okay, on the original Demon Souls remake trailer at the end of it, it said it's a PlayStation console exclusive and that it's coming to PC. Apparently, that was a mess up. Oops. 
Sony's like, no, 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 that that was that's a mistake. It's only coming to PS5. Apparently, how does that happen? Apparently, that disclaimer was meant for the end of the Deathloop trailer because that is a PlayStation Five console exclusive. That's on. That's also yeah. Okay, I can believe that. Yeah, Series X later. Which is which? If you consider that the wording of the disclaimer at the end of the original Demon Souls trailer makes sense, because if it was applied to Deathloop, it would make one hundred percent sense. And mm-hmm. think about it; it actually makes a lot of you can really understand how that issue might have occurred because Demon Souls DE Deathloop DE. It's probably error. And so that's, that's a good observation right there. So they had to clarify after the. They they put up they put up that even that trailer by itself on the PlayStation YouTube that had that snippet and then they had to take it down and then re re upload it saying no it's only coming to PlayStation Five so it led to a lot of people being confused and now even I was like look I really want to play this Demon Souls remake because I'm I'm really a big fan of Demon Souls and I was like if it's coming to PC what's the point and uh, once I started getting rid of that and people were like no it's only PlayStation okay I'll pre order it just in case and. We'll, we'll see. That's lots, a lot of money. But um, speaking, is like, go, go for it, Brian. I was gonna say I'm probably going to get a PS5 and Demon Souls. Like, I, I'm not the sort of person that must have to have it day one. But like, I'll just see like what stock looks like in early December, and if it's if it yeah. looks poor, I, I'm not not gonna be like you know mm-hmm. wound down on it. That's, that's how do we feel up. about the gameplay that was shown? Because it was presented as if it were pure gameplay with no UI. You know the the character going through the different environments of Volataria and ending up at the boss fight with the uh, the demon. I forget his name. Uh, I feel like yeah. I'm not saying that they're lying, but I do feel like it's a little bit idealized because he kills like every enemy in one hit. And I'm wondering, like, is this like a high level character with a really good weapon or something like that? I, I, obviously, it's just a trailer. I'm not going to say like, aha, you're I'm calling you out on this. It just seems a little bit like this is the the best possible representation of what gameplay would look like. I mean, it reminds me a bit of the Dark Souls 2 trailer in that sense, I guess, in that it was very much like a similar like vibe to it. But well, I mean, the, 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 the blue point to act to accurately represent the game they're working on than FromSoft after the whole shenanigans with Dark Souls 2 pre and post launch. Hmm. So I, I believe I believe it's good. Like Shadow of the Colossus on PS4 is by and far one of the best looking games of the current generation. And it, I fully believe that what they showed was actual gameplay because Bluepoint's not giving me a reason to believe that they wouldn't be capable of that sort of graphical output on next gen. Yeah, Bluepoint's very good at like showing things that they're working on as is. Like this is probably real footage. Um, based on that, I think yeah, it's no smoke and mirrors. Yeah, I th- it, it was super impressive. I like I was kind of ha- like a bit. I still, I guess, I'm still a bit fifty-fifty because this is its own thing. You have to, you have to judge it as its own thing. But, but like similar to like the Shadow of the Colossus thing, like the the originals kind of exuded a bit of roughness uh, to them, like technical roughness. But it kind of added the atmosphere in a weird way. Like in the original Demon Souls, there's like this like gray overlay over the whole image quality, and this one is so clear and so vibrant. Uh, that at some point it's like okay, this is their ima- like reimagining of Demon Souls. This is this looks great. This looks phenomenal. It's also, but, like, it, but it, it, lo- it loses some of that like original atmosphere that kind of added to like the the rough charm of Demon Souls in a sense as well. 
It's worth noting, though, that Demon's Souls wasn't just from software. It was also Japan Studios, who's yeah. cool, also working with um, Bluepoint on this remake. And the other thing worth noting is that people notice that in the current trailer that the Flameworker design has changed from the first showcase to be more in line with its original design in the PS3 original. Yeah. So with those two things, like, considered, like, well, well, first off, if I really wanted to play the original Demon Souls in HD at, like, 60 FPS, I've already done that. You can emulate it. I mean, I ripped my copy and, did, and played it on PC with our PCS3 just last year. So it's like, if you really want to play the original game, but in a higher resolution and a higher frame rate, the option's open to you. With uh, some semi-modern CPU, you can probably manage it on PC. It's not a huge deal. So the fact that there are being changes made, personally, I don't think that's a huge deal because for all intents and purposes, the original Demon Souls experience is already preserved. So it's all right to see some artistic liberties being taken, especially if there's going to be some of the original dev team, presumably having that sort of contact with Bluepoint as they're making those changes. And the fact that they have changed the flame worker design in response to some of the community's uh, uh, comments does make me believe that Bluepoint are being very respectful of what the original was going for. So I, I think it's fine. Like I especially liked the short, short moment in the um, trip in the um, kind of gameplay demo where it was like just like cut bits and pieces of the different areas and like the one with the storm and it's like you see the tree get blown up. It's like yeah, I think I think that fits really well with what that area was going for. It was mm-hmm. really yeah, I think I think I think the big big it or break it for this is that they preserve the just the flat out cat JPEG when you uh, equip the cat's ring in Demon Souls. Oh. If they don't if they don't have that picture of the cat, just a normal cat as your status, then Spoiler you know, alert, this remake will be dead to me if it gets rid of the level drain in uh, False King. <laughs> but yeah, when I was watching this trailer, it's very much i think geared towards people who have nostalgia for the game like oh shit it's a spider at the end of the tunnel oh shit it's the man eaters oh shit it's the flame lurker i'm not strong enough <laughs> not again uh, it, it, so. it just shows the strength of like demon like demon souls level design and enemy placement and like that like you can just like look at that trailer it's like i know exactly where i am i know exactly where this is yeah, I, I remember this bridge leading to the man eaters i remember this cave leading to the spider oh boy <laughs> just <laughs> I remember that flame spread attack and it tanking the frame rate. Oh man, this is this criminal that looks smooth now. What is uh, they, they, they didn't show that uh, giant dragon that you fire the ballista at? Why not? Why why are they avoiding him? Where's he? <laughs> they they can't they can't show off all the all the cards yeah. yet. Yeah, that's a, I, I'm very surprised that it's a launch title. I thought I thought for sure that was next year. Well, yeah. I mean, it makes sense that it would be a launch title. I well, actually, no, because. Didn't they release the Shadow of the Colossus remake like early 2018? So that would be less than a three-year like uh, turnover, if that's the case. I mean, it is like, from what I understand, they actually did reuse a lot of the PS2 code of the Shadow of the Colossus remake. So I guess they could have already been working on Demon Souls like near the end of Shadow of the Colossus development. In fact, I'm sure they were. But it's like, yeah, that is a pretty quick turnaround when you think about it. 
So a couple more footnotes from the uh, from the PlayStation Showcase. Um, obviously, we did also get the release date for PS5. It's November 12th in North America, November 19th in Europe. We did get the price. It's going to be $4.99 for the standard PS5, and for the digital version, it'll be $3.99. Um, they did also okay. announce on the, I believe it originally showed up on the Japanese PlayStation blog, that Miles Morales and Horizon Forbidden West will also release on PlayStation 4, and which Sack took Boy a couple people by surprise. Go ahead. Yeah. Josh. Yeah, Sackboy, they also confirmed Sackboy a big adventure uh, among those as well coming to PS4, uh, along okay. with the other two titles. I'm of and, two minds about the PS4 thing for uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales and... Um, Horizon. Well, for Spider-Man, I don't think it's a big deal because I feel like it was pretty obvious from the get-go that this game was going to be built upon the framework and probably mo much of the original code from Spider-Man PS4. So it makes sense that they could still get it working on PS4 as well. Horizon, I, I don't know. Who was surprised? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's great for people that want to play the game that don't want to necessarily update upgrade PS5, and it's good that they're able to play it. But there's two things about this. One, when they showed off uh, Forbidden West at the previous uh, PlayStation 5 showcase, afterwards, people were really using that as, like, a hammer for the nail that was, like, Microsoft's cross-gen strategy. But now that we've seen Microsoft's like announcements with Fable and all the, that sort of stuff, now we see Sony's, it feels like, if anything, the tables have switched. Like, and people that were getting on Microsoft's case for not fully embracing next-gen, well, it's like Sony were saying, oh, we believe in generations, and yet this entire time, like, a, like most of their first-party games that they showed off in the PlayStation 5 showcase were cross-gen. It and just... Like, I don't blame them for it. I'm not going to call them Pinocchio or whatever, because it, it is like, just do we just leave those 100 million PS4s out to dry? Like, that's a lot, that's a lot of revenue that you're giving up, um, especially if Horizon Forbidden West has started development a while ago. We don't really know. But... Okay. So I guess let's let's give a timeline for people for like what when next gen is coming, right? Because like the first on November tenth, where your your Xbox is first, Microsoft is first. They released the Xbox Series X and Xbox Series S on November tenth. The Xbox Series X is four hundred and ninety nine dollars. The Xbox Series S is two hundred and ninety nine dollars. Both on November 10th, pre-orders for them have not started yet. Pre-orders uh, start on September 22nd for them. Two days later, after them, is when Sony arrives at the PlayStation 5, both with a disc or without a disc drive. So, and the, uh, as Adam, I think Adam mentioned it earlier, that the prices for that is yeah. the, PlayStation, the PlayStation 5 with disc drive is $499 on November 12th. The PlayStation 5 without a disk drive is $399 on November 12th. And that's your, that's your timeline uh, for that. And pre-orders for PlayStation 5 already started, mostly sold out, but the PlayStation Twitter account at the time of this recording, like a few hours ago, like a few hours ago or so, 
they tweeted out it's like well you know the pre-order situation could have been uh, better let's be honest and then they're saying they'll try to get pre uh, playstation 5 pre-orders ba back up and in stock we don't know where they haven't said when and they'll sell it they said they'll try to have more playstation 5s uh, available throughout the end of the year so that right now at the time of this recording playstation playstation 5 pre-orders are sold out but they'll be back up again whenever yeah you'll have to follow the normal characters on twitter or whatever to figure out which retailers will have it available at which time so keep your head on a swivel if you want to get a pre-order in yeah and one one this i'm sure everyone listening to this is already aware of it but one key major difference between the two pairs of offerings is that the two playstation fives are have equal computing power quote unquote just one is disc digital only where the xbox series s has um, some weaker GPU and smaller and smaller allotment of RAM. So it's not designed as a 4K machine. It is a next gen 1080p, 1440p machine. So that's kind of a clear difference between each company's more cheaper offering, <laughs> if that makes sense. So just wanted to have yeah. that clarification out there. I, I, re I really do wonder like uh, if Xbox is messaging with the different SKUs with Xbox will hurt them in the long run on this. And we talked about this last week, Josh, just so you're aware. Um, what, what we kind of came up with, with kind of James kind of hammering this point home is that we think, we think based on our, what we know of and our expertise, quote unquote, is that if the Xbox Series S is designed as not a 4K machine, but more as a 1080p, 1440p machine, then we think that the, the weaker GPU is okay, but it was the RAM allotment that seems like it really might be something that people have to really consider developing for going forward it seems like that's going to be a, a bottleneck for that but we'll see how it actually manifests obviously when the time comes for xbox release and next generation only games so we'll see yeah um uh, i'm not I, I don't i don't think we should get into launch titles yet because i guess more uh, throughout the coming weeks i'm sure more and more titles will start announcing themselves as like oh we're coming at launch for this console or next gen or whatnot yeah. because right now it seems pretty slim slim for both but there's still plenty of time for third parties to say oh yeah we'll be there the day one next gen uh and whatnot as well Let's the, see. Any, any, i guess uh, before we move on any final thoughts on the playstation 5 showcase overall well like even if they aren't rpgs like any standouts to you guys Definitely uh, cry. Five special edition is cool, but it is actual bullshit. The PCs. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So to provide context, they uh, they revealed Devil May Cry Five special edition on the PS5 showcase. Uh, the big you know allure of this one is the uh, Virgil is finally playable in it, which is everyone is waiting for. But uh, the special edition part is like they'll have uh, uh, ray tracing in it. They'll have ray tracing in uh, 4K. Uh, I think 4K 30. Uh, and uh, 1080p 60 will, will be there. They also have uh, a special mode that allows the game to run at 120 FPS without uh, ray tracing. Uh, and then also have a turbo mode and legendary dark knight mode, which for people who don't know what that is, it, uh, DMC legendary dark knight mode basically cranks up the enemy count by a lot. Uh, they you you take a lot more damage, and they 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 take a lot more damage. It's kind of kind of like a special difficulty mode, which is really fun. Uh, but the that that'll be available on both PlayStation Five and Xbox Series X. But the the big thing about the special edition is they'll release Virgil DLC 
uh, for PlayStation 4, uh, for Xbox One and PC, but not the ray tracing enhancements uh, or the uh, or the legendary Dark Knight or Turbo mode for PC, even though it's more than capable to do that. So the spe- those special edition uh, modes for legendary Dark Knight and Turbo and the ray tracing is only going to be for the next gen consoles, and only the Virgil playable is only coming back to the previous version. It's especially ironic considering Legendary Dark Knight mode got its start on Devil May Cry 4 as a PC exclusive mode, and now Devil May Cry 5's version of it is going to be console exclusive. It's like, what the hell? Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I hope they kind of backtrack on that and make it available for PC because that'd be amazing. Unfortunately, but... there is a series precedent for this happening already with DMC Devil May Cry Definitive Edition. So. Yep. It's, and while I'm sure stuff like Legendary Dark Knight and Turbo can be, like, modded in to a certain degree, like, especially once it comes out on consoles and people know how they're implemented on the consoles, people will be able to deal with, like, add, like, mod something similar in, so at least the experience will be available on PC, if only through, like, third parties. But ray tracing... I don't think people are going to be able to do that. And if it is, it would take a lot of work. And it just, it's especially ironic that the day this gets announced is the same day that a next generation of NVIDIA GPUs with an emphasis on better ray tracing performance release. It's just, I don't know, man. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really excited for DMC5 Special Edition, but I do share your... Uh, sentiments about it not coming to PC. Uh, that. I guess on a more positive note, the fact that on PS5, which for all intents and purposes should have the lesser ray tracing performance of the two uh, consoles, it's managing 1080p60 for ray tracing. Maybe that's a good sign for the... Uh, and that's like a middle mid-range, like RDNA 2 GPU or something like that. Maybe it's a good sign for ray tracing performance on Big Navi. i trying to be positive. <laughs> Maybe mm. Sign. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, whatever uh, what I was really interested in, I it, it once again, it's kind of a big bummer in, uh, in some aspects too. Is there's this ultimate edition of uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales coming out that'll have a uh, uh, a remastered version of Spider-Man uh, that came out on PS4, uh, now coming to PS5, but with you know enhancements like a 60 FPS. Uh, mode and whatnot, and I'd really want to replay that game uh, in 60 FPS because I really enjoy that game. I just think it's kind of a bummer that this is not like available as a free upgrade for people who already bought Spider-Man on PS4. I would think that'd be the case, but it's not yet to pay like an extra what thirty, forty dollars to that for that Ultimate Edition Miles Morales uh, thing to get the remastered Spider-Man thing. That's kind of weird. Pretty scum. Like I, I saw a tweet that was like a, a fake Insomniac Games account saying, "Don't worry, we've changed the. It's, it's going to be free." And I was like, "Yes, that's really good of them. Like, awesome." And then someone said to me, "They're like, yeah, that's a fake tweet." Like, oh. <laughs> so they're just keeping that decision. Yeah, for right now, as far as we know, yes, it's kind of, kind of feels a little bit bad. And I guess this is also uh, can open up to a wider discussion. Uh, after the PS5 showcase, they did confirm that. Like, uh, I think it was, I forgot which NBA game uh, set the precedent for uh, a $70 retail game. Some of these games at launch will be $70 MSRP, 
including Demon Souls remake and Destruction All Stars and Godfall. Now, um, yeah, this is uh, the new standard sixty nine ninety nine for brand new games for a good a good chunk of them at least. At least going by Godfall on PC being sixty, maybe pe- players on PC will be able to. Because uh, remember when there was that like couple years where games on consoles were sixty dollars, but the same games on PC were fifty. Hopefully, we can have something like that for at least a year or two. <laughs> now, I'm not an economist, but I know it's a shitty way to start a statement, but it's true. Um, like games have been $60 for a long, long time, and it doesn't take an expert to look at them now and see how much more detailed they are, how much more involved they are. I understand how much, how much work goes at. into them. I don't know. I understand where you're getting at. And if, uh, not to get political here, but if uh, companies weren't stuffing their games full of microtransactions and making hand over fist through them, anyways, and that extra money was going towards developers, then I wouldn't have an issue with them going to $70. But the fact that it feels like for the actual AAA games, they aren't suffering under the $60 price point and developers aren't going to see anything extra out of that. Yeah. No, I, I'm not okay with it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, like, like, like James said, like this would be, I'd feel better with it if like games just, a lot of games these days weren't filled with microtransactions, whether they be battle passes or like, hey, buy this currency so you can like, I don't know, get cosmetics and whatnot. It's just like, I, I feel uh, th- this will be weird because like, I feel better about playing gotcha games almost because they're at least they're free out of the gate. And it's like, you can decide whether you want to spend or not in them. But at least it was like, you, you tried it out. It, the only time, the only thing you really spend is time. And whether you want to su- give your support or not is up to you. But you didn't have to like spend like sixty or seventy dollars out of the gate only for them to continue charging you uh, for other stuff. And that, it just it just feels weird to like c- continue to ask for like more than after your initial purchase. Yeah. In that sense, I kind of I I, I, I I get I get the developer side and like you know, the publisher side, but it feels like they're just squeezing the the stone. Dry of your blood. So, yeah. My last statement, moving, wrapping up this PlayStation 5, Xbox, next generation stuff, is just a general like observation. So I remember stating in a previous podcast that I thought early in the year, like before a lot of the details were nailed down, but obviously we knew about the Series X, uh, but before we knew about the Series S, that Microsoft's marketing and its messaging was very clear, where Sony's was very nebulous. And then I felt like it kind of switched maybe like two months ago where Sony's marketing had been very clear and Microsoft had flip-flopped about whether all their games are cross-gen or whether they're not, or these games were initially planned to be cross-gen, but now they're holding back. And then I feel like near the end, it kind of flipped again where I saw someone make a comment that like Microsoft's leak of the Xbox S like price and then uh, all that information, they actually handled that with like pretty deftly like they actually did that pretty well considering it was a leak almost we talked about this last week how it was almost more interesting than maybe it could have been if it was just stated plainly in an announcement and then sony at the very end kind of i don't want to say they tripped but they kind of like staggered at the finish line like they weren't as clear as they could have been so it's kind of just been this weird like ebb and flow for both for both you know companies throughout the whole summer as you know i don't want to get like too tribalistic but it's just been interesting to see kind of like 
the game of chicken that they've been playing for months now. But now we've got everything in place. All, pretty much all the details are known, as far as I'm aware, going into the November launch. So I think we're kind of at like this point where you make your final decision if you're having to choose between them or whatever. Sometimes the decision is made for you depending on the pre-order situation. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also just a, like you know, it. Uh, we've, I've, also, we've still been playing this podcast. That it's just it's just been a challenging year all around because of the pandemic, and it's like, is yeah. this really the right time to release these? Especially when you're upping the cost of like retail games as well, and trying to make that a standard. It's 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 a wild, wild, wild year to like try to push all these like. Well, I, you know, the, these plans were, were were in in development for many, many, many years now. It's just this is where it landed. What was your comment? Well, I guess to play devil's advocate with the seventy dollar price point for games. I guess it makes sense from the idea that both Sony and Microsoft are almost definite. Well, not almost definitely. They definitely are like selling these consoles at a loss because of the hardware that's in them. It's like they're, they're selling at a relatively significant loss. So if they're trying to recoup money on the launch games, I guess that makes sense. I still don't like it, but at least I can understand where they're coming from. Uh, I will say about like, well, everyone here except for George plays on PC, so. Ouch. So, I mean, at least from that perspective, none of us really needs to get an Xbox, so the decision of which next-gen box if we're going to get one is at least a little bit simpler because Microsoft has outright told us if we play on PC, yeah, we're fine with taking your money on PC. You don't need to buy an Xbox, so, yeah. So, uh... Do you think every everyone else, every third party, like follows suit next gen? Do you think that this will be a widespread thing now that is seventy dollar is the real standard? UK is going with it, and now Sony is. It's a yeah. It's not even a question. Dominoes are already tipping. Yeah, it, it it's already unless like those games really uh, bomb, which I do not see happening. Like uh, even Demon Souls, like that game is going to sell gamebusters on PS. Five, because like people don't really understand just how big Souls has gotten these days. Like that is a massive launch title for Sony, and that's going to, on its own, sell millions of PlayStation Fives at launch. So people aren't going to care about the price tag because they remember playing Demon Souls, or maybe they don't, and they played Dark Souls and they want to actually experience the original one. It's just. Regardless, it's it's gonna sell gangbusters despite the seventy dollar price tag, and uh, yeah, it's gonna become a standard. Even if I really wish it would not. So, what do we think of Nintendo? <laughs> like the the weird elephant in the room, or not not quite the elephant? They're just like hiding in the corner because they also had a showcase this week. This is my shitty segue. Um, with a <laughs> a Nintendo Direct Mini showing off some like uh, other partner you know projects. For the Nintendo Switch, which is by all counts having an amazing year sales wise, like ridiculously good. Um, I guess the only thing I, I really want to say, just to sum up my thoughts with the Nintendo Showcase, is that man, 2021's Game of the Year cast is just going to be a bunch of Switch games and a knife fight, isn't it? <laughs> well, I so remember earlier this year they had that third party direct, and we were like, What's the best case scenario? I, I guess maybe we'll see Shin Megami Tensei Five show back up, and they're like, "Oh yeah, it did." And by the way, here's three HD. Like, oh man, like that surpassed my expectations. 
And then here it was like, what's the best that can show up? A new Monster Hunter game? And they're like, oh, wait, here's two of them. So these these little partner directs have been like surprisingly strong. So as I alluded to, um, we two of the key announcements here were from Capcom that announced Monster Hunter Rise and Monster Hunter Stories 2 Wings of Ruin. So Monster Hunter Rise is set to release on March 26, 2021. And maybe I'll hand it off to James here because I just see it kind of as like another Switch exclusive Monster Hunter game. I don't really know if you can see something more detailed that I'm just not aware of, but it looks um, really cool. It's got a cool art style, cool, cool uh, awesome, character yeah. acting. I think on the fan, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, this is probably day one for me. Uh, well, a few things about Rise. First off, the release date is March 26th, which is coincidentally also the same date that another game was announced for in the Nintendo Showcase, like Valen Wonderland or Wonderworld or whatever it's called. Um, I think we might have already gotten the release date for the heavily rumored Switch Pro or whatever it ends up being mm-hmm. called, because um, ever since the Wii, to a certain extent... Nintendo's actually like tied like tied new hardware to Monster Hunter releases. Like for example, the um, new 3DS. One of the big launch titles for it was Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate. It was a showcase of the stupid analog nub and also the better performance because you had an unlocked frame rate, better textures, all that sort of stuff. So, and like with the Wii, when they released the Classic Controller Pro, it was, it had a hardware bundle with a Classic Controller Pro with Monster Hunter Tri. So, the timing's right for the Switch Pro announcement, because it's like when it releases, it'll be four years after the Switch came out, which is about the same time frame for the new 3DS, if I'm not mistaken. So, I feel like... I'm not sure if what we saw was actual Switch footage or if it was Switch Pro footage because there were rumors before this showcase that the game, the, um, the Switch Monster Hunter was going to look kind of um, rough. But when I saw that trailer, I was like, no, this looks better than I expected. It, for a Switch game, it looks actually really good. I thought some, people, some people thought it did look better than World. I don't know if I agree, but it does look really nice. Let me provide some context because it took a bit to, for me to search this up. Uh, Video Games Chronicle. Uh, you know, they reported uh, there was a new report from Bloomberg uh, that cited uh, there's outside game developers, you know, familiar with Nintendo plans, uh, Nintendo's plans, and Nintendo has, uh, you know, reportedly been asking game developers to make their games 4K ready, which uh, provides credence that there will be some sort of Switch upgrade or Switch Pro uh, upgrade and whatnot. And uh, like James was saying, with you know March 26th being the Monster Hunter Rises release date of Ballad Wonder Worlds. Um, that could very well be the date, but yeah, there's they're definitely for prepping for a new Switch launch so sometime next year. Feels like. And, As for yeah. the game itself, the most interesting thing, even before talking about like the new gameplay changes, the new and returning monsters, all that sort of stuff, we're gonna be here a while. Uh, but the most interesting aspect of the reveal came after the showcase, where people asked because of the rumors that uh, Dust Golem kind of propagated on Reset Era and whatnot, saying, hey, this is going to be on the RE engine. Uh, It is. So that means that the Switch now has a version of RE engine that natively supports it, which means, what does that mean? Does that mean we might be getting more ports of RE engine games in the future, 
could we get a down port of like Resident Evil 2 and 3 or even like 7, like a non-cloud version? Could we get Devil May Cry 5 coming down the line? I don't know. Um, but it's interesting stuff because it does mean that, hey, probably also means that the next-gen Monster Hunter, Monster Hunter World 2, whether that's in 2022 or 2023, I think that depends on whether or not Rise gets an expansion like World did. Well, it's probably going to be on uh, RE Engine because now they have Monster Hunter on the RE Engine. So I don't so know that, much about game engines, but it seems like Capcom's what they they like Monster Hunter World was on MT framework, which is the same that like Resident Evil Five and Six were on, which is an older engine, but it can make some really nice visuals. Like all those games look r- really good to me, anyways. But then obviously RE Engine is like a newer iteration, newer engine, newer technology, everything on there. You, you see it in the Monster Hunter Rise footage. It's just interesting how that contrasts to like other engines where it's like please Bethesda, don't use Gamebryo, or please id, don't use id tech 5, or please Square Enix, don't use Luminous or Crystal Tools. Um, well, which, by the way, we don't know quite exactly yet what Final Fantasy 16 is on. Alex uh, Donaldson thinks it's Crystal Tools, but I don't think it's been specifically stated. Anyways, but Capcom's, it seems like they can do almost no wrong in terms of like the tech behind their games. They're, they're really smart. About yeah, like, just to be blunt, I am like, convinced that Capcom knew the 3DS hardware better than Nintendo. Like, not even a, not even a Probably, you know what? You well, look, look, look how good uh, Resident Evil Revelations looks on there. Resident Evil Revelations, Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate, 4 Ultimate, all that sort of stuff. The uh, Even the Ace Attorney games looked really good on the 3DS. It's just, like, Capcom really knew, like, an X-Troopers, even though we never got that. Holy crap, that was an impressive game on the 3DS. But this I guess... This isn't a hot take, but it, it's so nice to like talk about Capcom in a really positive light again. Like There's I think I think they're the MVPs of this channel. Right, special yeah. situation, but uh, Monster. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm 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 not, the Monster Hunter team's a different part of Capcom, so I'm 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 gonna be positive. Just give me a new Dead Rising, and I'll, and Capcom <laughs> will be MVP of like forever for me. But yeah, as for the game itself, uh, it very much seems to be taking a lot of uh, well. People weren't sure whether or not the Switch Monster Hunter would be more of a classic Monster Hunter or if it would be an evolution of a world. And it feels like, from what I'm seeing in Rise, it seems to be a mix of the zaniness and over-the-top action that Generations and Generations Ultimate had, which makes sense because it's the same director. And uh, some of the quality of life features and changes and some some of the gameplay features and additions that were added with World. So we've got slopes, we've got some endemic life, though it's like it's it's kind of hard to see, but there is some because you see like that one dung beetle on a shot in some of the footage they showcased. You do yeah, see uh, seamless, seamless field like in World, there's no like air designated areas. It's all loaded in and you're just exploring around without having to go to like zone one, zone two, zone three. Yeah. Uh, the canines, which are a new uh, companion, it took them long enough to add dogs to go through cats. But um, it, those seem to be very much a uh, an evolution of the Raider Ride system and the uh, Tail Raider system from World, where your Palco could like befriend small monsters that were about the size of those dogs that would fight with you, and you could even ride them to specific areas. And even some of the feature sets is the same. So I would not be shocked if, even if it's on a different engine, much of the code that went into those uh, systems were, if not reused, they were uh, 
compared against for developing canines. So that's interesting. So yeah, I guess I should specify canines are like attack dogs. You can ride them when they're, you can set them to automatically go to a monster, it seems like. And while they're doing that, you can sharpen, you can drink, all sorts of stuff like that. So it's like lots of prep. They can, for any climbable walls, they can just like shoot right up it. Which and, is, and I get, yeah, that, that you mentioned it. Yeah, when there's not actually climbing the game, you're like running up walls as well. Yeah, um, that's one of the things that seems interesting. They haven't fully detailed how it works and what limitations there are, because there are going to be limitations. But one of the new features is, I don't know what they call it, but some sort of bug lasso yeah, thing. The, uh, the wire bug, yeah. Wire bug, that's it. Um, and you can use that as kind of like a slingshot to push you forward. It reminds me a lot of Tokiden 2, actually. With yeah. The, uh, worked in there. Um, so, so it's like some sort of like grappling hook that like you can like you don't have to necessarily grapple onto something. It looks like you can grapple at least twice into the air and then like and then grab and then slingshot over to like a nearby vine or something. So it looks very versatile, like just to generally I, navigate. Yeah, I noticed in the footage that after the uh, hunter like slingshotted up a slope a few times, there were some like floating bug things that he grabbed and they like. My guess is that the wirebug has a certain amount of charges, and while they do recharge over time, to kind of, even though the world's open, allows you to move around uh, with a lot of freedom, there are those little, like, refills, like, scattered about that kind of points you towards, hey, this is a place you want to be able to go to, because once you get to the top, you'll get a refill for your wire bugs. So this is the critical path that you want to follow if you're moving around the map. It's like a Celeste, you know, like uh, when you're jumping through Celeste's platforms, there'll be like those recharge things in the air. They're like, hey, if you go over this, you can dash again. Again, it's an assumption that that's how it works, but it feels like that's a relatively safe assumption, right? Yeah, so, I'd say so, yeah. So um, the gameplay looks nice. Um, the big oh, thing uh, is now, that before before we go on, we should also mention that these wire bugs can be used in like uh, in combat as well. Like there's like like attack options with the wire bugs. Like there's like you can like slingshot in battle or whatnot. Yeah. Um. So that looks all that looks really nice. Just from the gameplay additions, uh, I I hope it's uh balanced a bit better than the clutch claw. I guess that would be nice. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. um, but uh. The big thing for me is the enemy variety that they've shown already. Because we know that um, they have the skeletons for like the monkeys from Monster Hunter World. So that obviously I'm sure we'll see Rajang in here or something like it. But uh, we've also, in the footage, we also saw a uh, the amphibian skeleton type with a new monster that's like a platypus kappa thing, which was really interesting. We've seen the uh, bear skeleton, so Arzuros, Lugambi, and uh, Volvodon are probably coming back. Well, Arzuros is definitely coming back because we saw him directly, but that means that those other two bears might come back, if nothing else. Like, I mean, it makes sense that at least Lugambi or Volvodon would come back. There was some sort of, like, bipedal flightless bird. Yeah, um, that skeleton reminds... it's weird because part of it looks like Kuliaku, but then you look at the way the skeleton moves, and for a long time, fan, it's clear that it's using the uh, something more akin to like the Yankutku uh, skeleton or the Yanbaruga skeleton, that sort of stuff. Um, which all of this is probably going over a bunch of people's heads, but um, it's okay. The enemy variety is definitely looking a lot better just from what we've seen. Like we see that a new spider monster is coming. It's not Ursula. It's a new monster. We don't know its name. 
But the fact that the spider skeleton is coming means that we probably will see something like Nursilla come back. And also just looking at the level design, it, there's a lot more flat open areas. There's a lot less um, busyness to the environments. And part of that, I'm sure, is just because the Switch can't handle as much foliage as the PS4 and the Xbox. But it also means that, well, the Leviathan skeleton was completed for Monster Hunter World. They just weren't able to get it working on MT Framework due to technical constraints, as well as some of the level design that they had um, delegated for World. So the fact that we are seeing a flatter area and that we know that Leviathan Skeleton was, if not fully complete, was already like almost done for World, makes me feel like we're probably going to see them back. Another thing that kind of stood out to me was that, so Palicos are now a support type, partner and they're that's what they're mainly focused on and one of the things they that we saw was this like kind of horn thing that, that would shoot out these healing bubbles and when i look at those i'm reminded of mizutsune from monster Hunter generations and generations ultimate which had a bubble aesthetic was oh, yeah. and it's like hmm they've already got the technology in there for bubbles like that and uh, I, I guess uh, I, to I guess to to follow up on like your palcos being support, uh, this game when you're playing solo, you can have up to two like helpers. You can, but it's mix and match. You can have like two palamutes, which is the canine offensive canines, or two palicos, or like a mix of both of one, uh, one palamute and one ca- palico, uh, with you out on the field. And also when you're um, co co-oping either local or online up to four players, everyone can choose like one partner, so you can have either one uh, Palamute or one Palico with you uh, in co-op as well uh, to support support your attack with you and whatnot. And also, uh, uh, right- there is a, you can get a, um, a $100 Palamute plush from Capcom oh. Japan. On the Western Capcom eStore, because that would be, uh, please, I need it. <laughs> That one photo specifically where there was the uh, one woman, she was playing her Switch, and the Palamute plushie is on her lap. It's like, oh my god, that is so adorable. <laughs> it's just like, oh man, you know how to get me Capcom. That's like, god. Where's the Pookie? Uh, where, where, where is he? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm there, day one. Rise looks awesome. Yeah, um, it, it looks absolutely fantastic. Even just this early on, like we already know that there's at least three more new skeletons or coming back or being introduced to this game. So And this'll be this'll be massive in Japan. Super massive again. It is I have no doubts that it's going to outsell portable third. Worldwide for sure, but maybe even in Japan. Do you you think it'll outsell World and Iceborne? I think that'll be difficult because it's one platform versus three. But um, I do think that it has a distinct shot of uh, passing the 10 million mark. In fact, I'd say it's almost guaranteed to pass the 10 million mark because of the worldwide appeal of the franchise now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's weird to see that Monster Hunter is just, it's, it's it, popular all around the world now. <laughs> so, uh, so both Josh and I have been Monster Hunter fans, I guess, for even before World, but... Uh, yeah. Uh, Brian, what's your thoughts on the game as a uh, relative newbie, even though you do have like 800 hours in World? So I am I am primarily a PC player. I do own a Switch, and I played a lot of the exclusives. Like 
Xenoblade and Zelda and all that, um, I will probably play this. But I haven't played a single Switch game for, for like more than this is going to sound like a low bar, even though it's not like 300 hours. I don't think I'll like no life this game and like 100% do everything in it. But I am curious just to see a Monster Hunter game with a slightly different focus, slightly different design considerations, art, different art style, even that, even though that might just tether out of the engine being different. I'm I'm very curious just to see how the game is put together, how it's made, what it does, that sort of thing. I'm I'm hopeful that they've learned their lessons from World and Iceborne. Like I hope endgame weapons and just weapon variety in general is like they they look more wacky like the older games. They, I really like I really I, like when they go out, out, over the top with weapons. I have faith in Ichinose because generations and generations ultimate and even portable third were just filled with zany weapons. So mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, this, it, it's v- way too early for me to say this, but I am almost certain that I'm going to end up enjoying this even more in the world. And like, like I said, in my Iceborne review, like I, like after like finishing Iceborne, I was really, really hyped for the future of the series and Rise is just like, man, I knew it was safe to be hyped. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm super excited, but, uh, it wasn't just Rise that got announced. We also got Monster Hunter Stories 2. And am I still the only person that's uh, played that? <laughs> no, I, I, play, I played Monster Hunter Stories. I, I This was this came as a, as a surprise for me because I thought Monster Hunter Riders was just like the end of like the pro, uh, Stories 2 prospects. Because like, you know, Monster Hunter Riders was like the mobile game. And I played a little bit of it. It's like it's really trying to like get has some stories elements in there. But I was like, I'd rather much have a full-fledged sequel to Stories because it's, it's kind of like a cool... Pokemon-esque uh, approach to Monster Hunter. Yeah, like, basically all it needs to be said is that it probably won't be the deepest game in the world. It probably won't be the most, like, interesting story. But, it like, mo- the first story was a very surprisingly good, like... I, well, I hate to call it, like, a Pokemon clone, because it very much isn't. But it was in the same vein of collecting monsters and stuff like that. Uh, had an interesting mechanic with like egg growth and all that sort of stuff. I wonder if that's going to be expanded upon in stories too. I wonder if there's going to be more like, I'm excited just because stories was a very good baseline for them to build something off of. Yeah. It's a, it was a very good chill atmospheric game. Like it, like just wandering around that world is very calming, very soothing. It's, uh... Going back to how, like, obviously, uh, Capcom knew the 3DS better than uh, Nintendo themselves. It was a yeah. very visually impressive game for the platform. It looks to be the same. It's probably the strongest cell shading on, on 3DS. Uh, yeah. Of course, it was also on phones. Um, I, part of me is disappointed that we're not getting a uh, port of Stories 1 as well, because there was, like, one last update that the Western versions just never got. So it's like... Maybe it'll be like a Xenoblade deal of like they'll just come back to it later. <laughs> I maybe and maybe they just wanted to focus on Rise and the announcing stories too. Maybe later down the line we'll figure out that oh it also has stories one built in or something like that. I would like that. It probably won't happen, but uh I still would like to uh without um importing a Japanese copy, which I'm sure I could. I would like to play that. Uh, but, but for people who don't know about Monster Hunter stories, it's a little bit different than mainline Monster Hunter because you work with the monsters, like you ride them into battle. It's it's, it's it's breeding monsters and whatnot. It's 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 a lot more harmony with the monsters and working with them to defeat your uh, foes. It's a, it was it was turn based, I believe. 
Yeah, it had the rock, paper, scissors uh, system to it, but then there was also like specific uh, like buffs and debuffs and whatnot. It, it got a lot more interesting. The first, like in my review, I mentioned how they smartly took the idea of Monster Hunter Combat and adapted it to a turn-based system. And if they can expand upon that, and obviously they're going to add in new monsters from like World and I'm assuming like Generations and Generations Ultimate, but um. Yeah, it's it. I feel like Stories Two has potential. Like it, it, it's one that you should definitely keep an eye on because the first one was already a really good game, and if they expand upon it, who knows? So. Yeah, I'm I'm very interested to see how more of this game next year. It's it's supposedly coming out so summer of 2021. Yeah. It seems like it's a lower barrier of entry. Like if you're new to Monster Hunter, you want to kind of experience it, but you don't want to like really get into the nuts and bolts of like the more in-depth, quote unquote, of the mainline games. Something it's also that- very smart that there's some connection between Stories 2 and Rise. And I'm not sure if that's just going to be like armor sets and uh, like maybe different weapons or something like that. That would be my... Yeah, they're, they're both going to have like compatibility features. They said like there'll be, there'll be some tie-in bonuses. I- I imagine it's not like, like you said, it's probably going to be a cosmetic type of deal. Uh, well, I guess on the story's end, it might make sense that there might be a special, like, monster that you can get if you have, like, ride save data or something. That's yeah. what I would imagine. Go, go uh, ride the flagship, the Magmadon or whatever from or something. Which is... Apollo, yeah. yeah. But yeah, Mon- <laughs> Monster Hunter fans will be eating 2021. That is <laughs> Um, just yeah. make sure you have a switch i guess yeah but uh there was some other switch games that got announced during the showcase too uh, a lot of rpgs uh mm-hmm. i guess this one was well we all this one was already announced but we got our first look at rune factory 5 and it's coming in 2021 uh the japanese um Showcase specified that it's coming out in spring in Japan, so I don't know what the release time frame will be in the West. I'm guessing it'll probably be closer to summer, like a few months afterwards, kind of based off of what happened with the Rune Factory 4 special. That would make sense to me. Uh, it's fully 3D now, which is more in line with the Wii and PS3 uh, Rune Factory games, I guess. So. But it looks better, though, than, than them. It looks really, it, has, it looks pretty refined for a 3D game. I'm like it. Yeah, I'm interested to see more. Uh, not much else to say because, like, Rune Factory, like, it, I'm not sure if it'll be better than Rune Factory 4 Special just because that game is really well polished and it mm. has additions and whatnot. But uh, okay. I'm for, people, for people who don't know Rune Factory, it's, uh, you know, it's like a simulation RPG series. Like, you, you can farm in it, you can talk with townsfolk, you can get married in it, you can have a you can choose between a male and female uh, protagonist. So, and you can uh, pretty much uh, marry. Hopefully, uh, they take uh, cues from Rune Factory Four Special, and they allow like you know uh, marriage with the with the same sex. You know, I'd love like you know the return of gay, uh, gay relationship in Rune Factory Five, and actually have that built in instead of like some sort of like kind of weird localization quirk that they had to do for the English version, yeah, which is kind of weird. It worked okay yeah. based on what they had. Yeah, but I hope it's just like it's it's more uh, actually built in this time, and that'd be quite. Uh, good, but it it looks nice, you know. It's it looks like a Rune Factory game. Not much else to say. We don't know anything <laughs> about specific new like mechanics, new features. All we know is, hey, it's fully three D camera now. Yeah, hey, it's like it looks like Rune Factory. Uh, 
I guess crazy. there's a bit more to talk about with Disgaea 6, which, yeah. Uh, they, first, not first, before we even talk about the game itself, um, in Japan, it was confirmed for both Switch and PS4, but for whatever reason, Disgaea 6 is a Nintendo Switch exclusive in the West for now. Yeah. Is, Do we know that for certain, or is it confirmed? Yes. confirmed? Yes. Oh, it's, it's confirmed. Yeah, they said it's Switch exclusive in the English Direct. Uh, it'll launch uh, in Japan on January 28th, uh, and still just summer 2021 here in the West. Uh, Disgaea 6, Defiance of Destiny. Uh, like like we said earlier with uh, Rune Factory, th- this will be uh, the first like fully 3D Disgaea game. They made the switch from sprites to 3D. I'm still kind of mixed on it, but it's th- it works out all right Like in motion. I think it looks nice in motion. Uh, yeah. This will- yeah. This will be um, like a like a fully new Disgaea. You have uh, your main protagonist is Zed, uh, who's a zombie. Um, and the the main appeal of this one is for right now the the the, the feature that they're touting is it. There's even a bigger, higher damage. On uh, trillions. Yeah, it's like, like even beyond trillions, I think now it's, it's level, it to level nine 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 nine. Yeah, um, the some of the features they have, uh, besides you know being a portable, obviously on the Switch, they have features like a, such as auto retry and replay uh, for both new and returning players. Um, and yeah, they haven't really said too, too much about it. it. Looks like this guy, this guy, a game, all right. And it's been a while since uh, this guy. Five was one of the first PS4 RPGs. Yep, it's uh, fascinating how last generation like nis america was like almost entirely like uh playstation and yet over the last couple years it feels like they've had a turn heel ever since the switch and they saw early success with the switch they've been really focused on nintendo which is and and to a lesser extent pc but it's like actually really uh interesting seeing how it's gone so far that in the west at least sky six is now a nintendo exclusive uh, game it's yeah as someone yeah, who's never it? played disgaea when i look at this and i have like a, a knowledge in my head of what disgaea looks like i'm like yeah this looks like a, a 3d interpretation of what disgaea is at least to my understanding so it's a very faithful art style even though it is updated to be more modern so i think it looks it kind of looks like how i expect a, a new disgaea game to look yeah, I, I I wonder I wonder how just a lot of details in this game they've only shown just a little and I have a lot of questions. <laughs> let's say and I, I it's you know the, this has been in a weird spot because like they 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 have a lot of like they put out a lot of different games but they never really see as much success as they do with Disgaea. You know, Disgaea is their flagship series that keeps them afloat. Hell, it's like that Disgaea mobile game is what kind of keeps them afloat these days in terms of just like financial stability um so yeah this guy is six defiance of destiny uh yeah defiance of destiny <laughs> um what else the last announcements that? from the uh nintendo showcase oh no this was in the uh packs online sorry yeah. i guess that was the last announcement for nintendo's showcase uh, at least it follows like under our yeah um but for from the packs online digital panel we from Nice America, we learned about a English release of Poison Control, which was previously yeah. known as Shoujo Sojo Jukoku no Duko Musume. <laughs> Maybe Josh can do a better chance at that. So I know we've talked about it on the podcast before, uh, underneath its Japanese release, but we do mm-hmm. um, it released in June this year. But Nice yeah. America has announced that it will release next year at some point. 
Oh, yeah, there's, trailer. There's from the people that did um, Penny Punching Princess. And the Princess Guide. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is kind of this is kind of a weird one because like the the story is about you know going into like the kind of the minds uh, of like you're in hell and you're there's like these uh kind of tortured souls uh like these girls who have kind of like uh, past traumas and whatnot and you're kind of going into like the these spirits minds and whatnot and it's kind of like a shooter meets action title and you're kind of purifying you know what what's kind of distressing them and whatnot like i know in the pax online showcase like there was this one uh level that they went into and it was kind of funny they're explaining it like there's this like little girl that uh who's really into this like uh into this mascot uh this very familiar mascot kind of looks like a pretty but it's not pretty apparently you know but she 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 really loves this mas- uh, mascot but she was distressed that at this concept like oh there's a person inside this mascot no 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 that can't be the case you know and whatnot and you're kind of kind of kind of getting her grips uh accepting the fact like kind of getting to grips with reality like you know there's a person underneath this mascot don't get so obsessive you know but uh, a lot uh, it looks it looks pretty cool it's uh kind of like a like I said earlier, the kind of shooter, kind of purifying areas. You're, you it's, have, it sort of has a little bit of persona DNA, at least in terms of like yeah. the UI elements and presentation. Yeah, you're using you're you're partnering with this uh, mysterious girl named Poisonette, which is uh, the, it's a it's a funny localization because uh, she's uh, that's the localization of Doku Musume as Poisonette, which is kind of um, clever. I like it. Um, but I don't know too much about the, the actual gameplay and, and the like, you know, moment to moment gameplay and whatnot. Besides that, it's kind of like a shooter, <laughs> essentially, and you're kind of purifying these zones. Yeah, but it, it looks cool. It, uh, it is. Uh, will come out for PlayStation Four and Nintendo Switch. Yes, at some point actually. And that that previously came out in uh, Japan a few months ago in June, I think. Mm-hmm. And that'll be early 2021 here. That'll be interesting to look at. See. This is something that you put on here, and I know that um, yeah. Kite put, put up some information about this game. Uh, Maglum Lord from the creators behind Summon Knight was announced uh, from D3 Publisher. Not yeah, announced for localization yet, but announced uh, for the Japanese release. Yeah, I don't, know if, I don't know if it's from the creators or, or the developer of Summon Knight. Some fella Stella. Um, I know the scenario writer and what that Summon Knight is working on it. Um, oh, and okay. the character. Yeah, the character designs are from Lack, which uh, has been getting him a following because he's uh, one of the artists on Fake Grand Order for one of the popular characters in that, Rokada Izo. Um, this is kind of um, like an almost an action RPG-esque from the trailer that they showed. It's a, like a sword creation action RPG. They're saying it's kind of, it looks like a... Like a um, you remember like early Tales games when they were like a, just a 2D horizontal view? It kind of looks like that, but in 3D. Uh, with 3D models, it's kind of like a 2.5D game. Um, you kind of your char- main character in this like a either a male or female like a resurrected demon lord, um, and you're kind of I don't I, I'm not too sure what the what the story of this game is. It's, it's something about like endangered species, um, and that's all I really know. I'm not too sure exactly what what this game is. They haven't really said too much. It looks kind of nice. Just kind of a heads up that, like, hey, this might get announced for localization 
eventually yeah, from that. I'm, I'm looking through like it looks like kite had a pretty thorough article on there describing all the different characters and the different bios and a lot of different screenshots yeah um, so it looks like it's slated for release uh sometime this winter so either late this late this year or potentially early next for japan an official localization hasn't been announced yet but uh, we'll just keep an eye on it see if it ends up coming stateside that yeah, again Mag was um maglum lord yeah um let's see what else? i don't want there to talk a... about neptunia josh you can talk about neptunia okay so <laughs> this is really dumb but uh Compile Heart and Idea Factory were teasing, hey, we have a next gen title coming to PS5. Uh, they revealed like the, the the name of it. It was uh Go 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 Jigen Game Neptune. Like that, but the, the last Go is five, but you know, the Japanese uh in, in, Jap in Japanese five is go, so it's kind of a, a pun there. I get it, so, I get it. Yep, go 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 uh <laughs> game Neptune reverse uh for PS5 um they're like oh man finally a new mainline neptune game awesome because their last none the mainline was victory 2 and that was okay on ps4 so they're like okay we're ready and then they revealed that this is kind of <laughs> there's a re-release of hyper dimension neptunia rebirth one plus that came out of ps4 so let me just see if i get this so okay this is uh, a re-release of Rebirth Plus 4, which was on PS4, which was a re-release of Rebirth Plus, um, well, Rebirth, which was on the Vita, which itself was a sort of port, was, but with some changes. No, it was a, not a port. It was a, a full-on remake of the PS3 uh, game, uh, original PS3 game. Yeah. So that, yeah, so th this is uh, a re-release slash definitive uh, version edition of rebirth one plus which was like uh a re-release of rebirth one on ps4 with enhancements which in itself yes was a remake of the original neptunia game on ps3 yes you 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 were on the right track um so this is the, the there's like enhancements to it you can have up to four party members in battle in this one you'll be like on a ranged mode which is like a kind of like a new mode to it where you have like over 20 uh, playable characters available to you with a lot of costume options and they are uh, all of their models have been updated to their uh, mega dimension um, models in it <sighs> it's uh, there's going to be fishing in it so it's now a JRPG in Yokotaro's eyes um, and yeah that's Man, pretty can't Idea Factory just make Fairy Fencer 2 already? Because, like, I actually liked Fairy Fencer F, but yeah. well, like Advent Dark Force. Like, with the Advent Dark Force editions, it's like, unironically, Fairy Fencer F is a good JRPG. You should play it. It's, but are, are they ever going to make a follow up to it? I don't know. The people have been waiting for, uh, uh, like, a, a new mainline Neptunia since Victory 2 was released, like, in 2015, 16. I don't remember. People have been waiting a long time for it. And, and then it's just weird to me for them to have a brand new name and logo for this and teasing it just to have it to be just a re-release of Neptunia Rebirth, essentially. I don't get it. I don't know. It's pretty disappointing in a lot of aspects and it just having a new name and logo to tease and then just it having it's so i i feel even though i know diddly squad about neptune games like i've had man it like another remake of a remaster of a re-release or whatever and then i look at some of the comments of some of these articles here 
Um, this one was uh, not announced on our, or not reported from our site, but uh, I was looking at the Gamatsu. And I've seen people who are aware of the series having like similar sentiments about like, man, how many times are they going to re-release the same like package in a different light? And I'm like, ah, they, yeah, they feel I, me. <laughs> I'm not alone here. Just I, I, perspective, like Idea Factory fans can be really defensive of Idea Factory because I got a surprising amount of pushback against my review for. Arc of Alchemist, which was by and far not the only negative review. Yeah, that was so man. So um, the fact that we're seeing Idea Factory fans themselves going like, "What gives?" That's not a good sign for Idea Factory. <laughs> it's just so shitty of them to like tease. Oh yeah, this finally and the Tunia game from PS5, and then this is what it was. Is kind of it's it's real shitty on the marketing side of this. Let's be a display straight. Come on now. But that's go go go. G Gen game, Neptune Reverse. We don't know the we don't know the localized name of it yet. They're definitely gonna localize this at some point. I'm sure it'll go over well with a lot of people being like, hey, I have a new idea factory RPG to play on my PS5. What that's else just... are you gonna play? Demon Souls? It's, it's a shame because, like, I haven't played it yet, but it seems like people are at least enjoying the story of, at least enjoying the story of uh, Death End Request too. It's like, and like, they they just want to be first in the market, right? But I mean, they're not first in the market anymore. Like, remember Omega Quintet? That's like the first PS4 RPG or something. Gosh, at least Omega Quintet was a a new game, even if it was questionable quality. Yeah, that's, this is. Uh... I don't know. I mean, like, the Nintendo Rebirth isn't a bad game. It's an okay game, but people want something new, man. This isn't, this isn't it. This isn't. And I guess um, to just wrap this up, they're going to have a PS5 version of that Neptunia shooter game that came out on PC, which is kind of like a pixel, not shmup, but like a shooter game, a pixel shooter game. Shmup. <laughs> uh, it's not really a shmup. Um, yeah, that was. I guess, and and they're gonna have like scenario events of the original PS3 Neptunia game in this as well, because I just twist the knife at some point even further. Yeah, that's 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 the big that's the big compile heart idea factory announcement for PS5. Yeah, the last there's no way to segue this. The last announcement from this week was a new Night City Wire from CD Projekt about Cyberpunk, and uh, the the. Video itself talked about the different gangs in Night City, which we kind of alluded to earlier in our discussion before the news sections, and then also the PC requirements, which uh, so Cyberpunk over the last year has kind of been like the guinea pig, especially in terms of like an NVIDIA partnership about like, here's Cyberpunk with ray tracing, here's Cyberpunk, I think, with DLSS. Um, They've really kind of made it establish it as this like tech showcase in terms of its visuals, in terms of its fidelity. But then this, uh, the, the requirements listed here are actually seemingly soft or low. Um, so the minimum requirement uh, is for a, for, on the GPU front, a GTX 780 or an AMD RX 470. So like, you're like, that's four-ish years old at that point, five-ish. And then the uh, graphics card for the recommended requirements is a 1060 or an R9 Fury, I'm not sure 100% what that is. But again, not even a 2000 series RPG. So, RPG, GPU, too many acronyms. Um, <laughs> so it's just interesting to me that these these recommended requirements, and then like the uh, 
the recommended CPU is an i7-4790, so not like a 6000 series, 7000 series, or 9000 series on the Intel side. Um, this I like. I don't know if they specified that this is only at 1080p or this is only without ray tracing, because it seems like they're trying to like say that these requirements are actually pretty uh, achievable even on like mid-range systems. I don't know if you've got any further context, James. Um, makes sense that the uh, requirements are actually uh, lower than you'd think because it's, it has to run on the PS4 and the Xbox One. That's fair. Uh, I will say that um, it's actually kind of disappointing how... So CD Projekt Red is very much a uh, PC-focused developer, and yet even though over the last couple of years we've seen a trend where PC requirements will actively list what like like quality presetter will be on and what resolution and frame rate it's targeting for their minimum and recommended requirements, which actually makes them useful instead of, I don't know what the hell this means. Yeah. That a PC-focused developer is just like, here's the minimum and recommended requirements. What do they mean? Here's the minimum and recommended requirements. We'll give you ones for ray tracing and 4K later. It's like, but what, what's the frame rate that's this, this is targeting? What's the quality preset? This doesn't tell me anything. It just says, okay, this is recommended, but recommended for what? Right. And like... <laughs> It's, I think it's gotten better over recent years where they're saying like, and I, I can't think of a specific example, maybe Assassin's Creed, where it's like, here's what you what we would suggest if you want to play a 1080. Here's what you suggest if you want to play 4K. Here's what you suggest if you want to play with ray tracing. Um, but this this seems like a recommended table from five-ish years ago where you get minimum and recommended and no details in terms of like what that actually means. But on the more content front, uh, so the, the Night City Wire episode or video three, whatever they call it, um, talked to, it kind of talked about like a whole like smorgasbord of things. But, but one of the key focuses of this video was the different gangs or factions of Night City. And we kind of alluded to this a bit, a bit at the start of the podcast. Um, a lot of these are borrowed from the tabletop game and a lot of these and maybe all of them actually we were aware of from previous demos such as the animals the voodoo boys uh i think the valentinos i think this is the first time we've seen them but what what is really kind of iffy here is that a lot of these factions or gangs are kind of what we what i talked about when i was talking about fallout 2 it seems like they're very monolithic very one note and they're characters kind of, of stereotypes. Yeah, they borrow very, very heavily on stereotypes. Yeah, I, I, I heavily recommend people to read or reread uh, Natalie Flores's, uh, you know, impressions of uh, Cyberpunk when she saw the behind doors demo at E three twenty eighteen, I think, or twenty seventeen. Um, it, it it's 17. just it kinda, or, what's up? Uh, I don't I, I don't remember which year it is, but yeah. Yeah, she she wrote a really great article. Just cyber, search up cyberpunk on the site. Uh, you'll see her article pop up on it. Um, it's just kind of, it's just, it feels a little bit bad, especially as a person of color, like to see that like you know, CD Projekt Red really hasn't really learned anything <laughs> between then and now on that closed door demo. Who, 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 I mean, who knows? We don't have the final build in our hands. We don't have the final game in our hands to really say like, oh, they're like maybe we're missing context, but this isn't really. Inspire confidence. Yeah, there's, like, I, have t- I have two comments. So one of the one of the examples is the the tiger claws, which is like 
a Japanese uh, syndicate that, that and they, they 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 use katanas and they're they're owned by this guy called uh, Susho Arasawa or something like that. And I oh. saw some people pulling his character bio from the tabletop game, and it's like he is strong and honorable, like a samurai. And I'm just like, it feels a little bit on the nose. Like, oh, of course he is. Uh, uh, but yeah. I do think, like, if I want to try to be more positive and say, like, okay, let's not judge it till we have the whole thing. Um, one of the comparisons that I was thinking of was Barrett in Final Fantasy VII Remake, where when you look at how he's presented, he is stereotyped. He speaks kind of, he, he might be a little bit too faithful to his original interpretation from the original Final Fantasy VII. Though I do think the game does do him a bit of service where he ends up having, like, a really strong character arc. He, you know, he has a lot of good moments. I don't think it, it doesn't absolve them in this case, Square Enix from still leaning so hard into those tropes, but they do do some interesting things with them where it's like, okay, I can sort of see some of the good you've done here. So maybe when we interact with these gangs, even though they are borrowing stereotypes to like define them, there might be some nuggets of interesting, good, clever use of the characters within them. Like I, I'm, I'm basically, I'm really hoping that that's the case. Yeah. I mean, but uh, then when I'm trying to be optimistic as well. Yeah. And like, it's when talking about the Valentinos specifically, they do the very thing that, um, Natalie's opinion article from a few years ago, like where they intersperse the spa the Spanish, you know, just like, you know, words into their dialogue in a very unnatural way. I hate that. It, like, it's just, it's just really obvious. And I forget that I, I'm, I don't, I'm trying to click through the trailer right now, but there's one thing where they're like night city, Puto, like they just like throw it on. They're like, Oh, do you know, I'm, you know, a Latino yet? Like, have I made that clear? Like, uh, come on. It's just like, it's like, it's like, it's like a, the, 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 do you get the point yet, man? It's like, come on, dude. <laughs> really? And the thing is, is that I don't have a lot of the context of the history here, but, cyberpunk the genre of the mid 80s a lot of it was kind of like this anti-japanese xenophobia of how they were going to have so much better tech than us and america needed to be wary you know of these you know of their, their their technical prowess and their you know their capabilities that had surpassed ours so a lot of that is kind of baked into the genre where i don't know you have to be it's something you want to be you want to use but be careful around and that's something where I would always, if I had the chance to speak to him, I would defer to Kazuma, who would have a much better like groundwork for exactly what the history there is. But that's basically another, from speaking about the Tiger Claws, a group that has been like presented in a very monolithic way where it just seems like, oh, I hope, I hope they do a little bit something more interesting rather than just call them the honorable samurai-like hackers of the cyberpunk future. <laughs> just, uh, I hope they do something interesting with it. Yeah. It's especially but, like worrying is like this is the the biggest game of the year, like all eyes are on it, and if it if it does this wrong, then a lot of people are going. Well, unfortunately, a lot of people just aren't going to notice or care, and even me, I know I don't have the mindset to pick up some of the stuff just because I don't have that background. But luckily, I am. You know, I do see what other people who do are, have been saying, why they're concerned, what they're worried about. So. It, like this game is almost too big to fail. You know, this isn't gonna be something where this really hinders them on a on a release reception standpoint. But I do think that there's going to be this kind of loud undercurrent of people who will heavily look at this stuff and criticize it accordingly. 
I have I have a lot of faith that this is going to be a well-made game with a lot of interesting systems. And like if if you look at it kind of like an RPG gearhead, I think CD Projekt has had you know the sort of um, history where you do think that they're going to do things very well on that front. But is it going to do something clever, creative, interesting, compelling with the setting, or is it going to be wow, cool future like the meme like? That's what I'm worried about, that it's just going to be like, here is the most generalized version of cyberpunk that we could possibly interpret to sell the most copies possible. That's kind of where I think they might fall. Yeah, well, it's only a few more months, like November 19th, I want to say. Uh, yeah, November 19th for PC, Xbox One, PlayStation, and um, it's going to be playable on Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5, but there will be a later update that will do a full-fledged like a port whatever you want to call it like remaster new tech that they're going to basically provide not alongside the launch but down the road okay which makes All sense because right. they're still developing the game itself oh it's going to be the big one so one of, one of our big ones at least we'll right. see how that out. i felt like that was a little sour but i think it they, they've they've done enough where i think that's kind of expected yeah, I, like it's one of those. It's like it's 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 okay to like you know we're all we're all still very excited, looking forward to the game. We're all very interested to see how it shakes out. But I think it I think there's room to be you know a little bit uh, hesitant or a little bit you know speculation and kind of just wondering like you know how how this shakes out because cyberpunk in itself is a political setting. It entails a lot of uh, you know varying philosophies, varying perspectives, uh, and you know, varying cultures, and we, people want to see their culture done justice. You know, they just want to see, like, you know, a positive. Not, not, doesn't always have to be positive, but at least somewhat accurate, somewhat, you know, upbeat representation of their culture. And just want they just want to see, you know, something genuine. I think the best case scenario, like I said, is that they pull a Barrett where it's like, no, it wasn't perfect, but they do do some really compelling things with them. Yeah, so, there, there's there's con there's context behind it, you know. Because with, with with Barrett, I felt like there was always kind of like, yes, the, he first presents himself in a very stereotypical way, but then you kind of spend more time with him and you sort of see like what he had taken for granted for that kind of like the other shoe, like where you sort of see what's important to him like his his basically his his importance to marlene is you know why he's so passionate about what he's fighting for things like that which obviously was true in the original game but it's presented in a very compelling way in, in seven remake and you're like yes maybe he shouldn't have been voiced this way or or things like that but you kind of take the good with the bad okay you can criticize it but then also realize what it did well and hopefully hopefully we have that sort of yes the valentinos here are presented in a very monolithic kind of unsightly manner but maybe there's a specific character that you interact with that has a really cool character arc within that gang or something that will end up kind of carrying <laughs> them out of the gutter we'll see yeah is that it that's the list i think that's it. i think this i think we got through it we survived till the end so right. whenever josh is on it's always like a really really busy don't, one don't don't blame josh for this one we had enough to talk it's, about it's it's a it's a good thing <laughs> the week this time it was definitely the week <laughs> so yeah we had uh sony news rpg news square enix news obviously final fantasy 16 was a big highlighter even though we didn't we, we talked about that two hours ago monster hunter other switch stuff some other japanese games releasing and of course cyberpunk so 
a whole bunch from every genre. You even got the farming sim in there with Rune Factory. So, mm. and then uh, 13 Sentinels with the visual novel sort of aspect at the, at the front. So we got the whole the whole plate here. This episode is everything. Everything you yes. ever wanted. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess I'll just start wrapping up. We do have, obviously, the review for 13 Sentinels on the website that Josh wrote. We have the coverage for Final Fantasy 16 and a follow-up article about some things you might have missed from the trailer uh, up on the website, including, and then also all the news from Demon Souls to Monster Hunter and everything else we just rattled off. Um, you can join our Discord by clicking the link at the top of our of our homepage at rpgsite.net. You can follow us on Twitter at rpgsite. Um, we've been putting out more videos on our YouTube channel, rpgsite.net, where we just casually talk about different games we're playing. And as always, we'll be back here on the Tetracast hopefully next week. And until then, take care. See you next time. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye, guys.